0: Mysterio slides through psychosis's... Did I say... Wow, that's a strange typo. I have Mysterio slides through psychosis's eyes. Ah, wow. (laughs) So that's clearly not right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days, and not-so-good old days, of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by Sting! Absolutely, definitely the real This Is Sting. Totally not Alec Bridget in an obvious Sting mask. How's it going tonight, Sting?
1: Woo. Woo. <laughs> i think i said that right woo yeah
0: yeah it depends on how high-pitched and screamy you do it right
1: i, I don't do it too loud i'm right next to a mic
0: so. yeah that, that's that's a good point that's a good yeah. point yeah so it might also be rick flair and an obvious sting mask I'm, i can't be sure to be honest
1: if my nose is pressing against the mask you'll know if it's flair <laughs> that's a good point
0: <laughs> uh in all seriousness how's it going tonight al
1: pretty good pretty good how about you
0: uh doing okay As we are for the first time in a very long time, recording in my apartment rather than in any one of the various other recording locations that we've been in over the past uh, couple years, actually. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it it feels a bit strange to be back here after I think two two and a half years away from recording in this location, right? With
1: yeah, it sounds about right.
0: A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but sure, good to be back in here, and uh, good to be well, kind of good to be discussing. Road Wild 1998, Road Fast, Road Hard, No One Knows Where This Road Goes. Sturgis, probably? I feel pretty comfortable with that, yeah. yeah. Seems like a fair bet. Yeah. Road Wild 1998 was held on Saturday, August 8th, 1998, at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, in front of 8,500 fans. None paid. It earned 322,000 pay-per-view buys, wow. which is quite a bit better than last year, and in the upper middle of the pack for 1998. Okay. 98 is a really good year pay-per-view buy rate-wise for WCW. It's actually better than 97.
1: Right. They kind of peak at the, towards the end of the year. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. The, I mean, obviously, 97 has their biggest show of all time, right? but 98 still is uh, benefiting from the rise that they've had through the course of the previous year. Makes sense, yeah. It is said that the third time is the charm, but is that really the case? To find out, let's go to the ring. Hogan. This is you and me,
2: Paige. You me with and white Hollywood) See me ah! and you against Shaw and Hull. Bro, Frio, NWO. We're gonna bust him up.
0: The opening video package sets up the main event, Hogan and Bischoff versus Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno? Yes. Little weird, by the way, that in the video package, Page is mentioned last.
1: I noticed that, yeah.
0: Just kind of feels like Leno as a sort of special guest star should have either been listed after all of the regulars or first, yeah. you know, one or the other.
1: They should really lean into it, like had the real serious voice guy. And then sound a bit, like, not confused, but maybe not the same tone when he says Leno, like, Leno? Yeah. Something like that. Because they had to realize that even 1998, when the show was happening live, people were like, wait, Jay Leno's wrestling? Yeah, yeah. It's not the same as Karl Malone wrestling.
0: It's a little bit different, a little bit different. Yeah. The logo reveals that this year's show is WCW slash NWO Road Wild. We are in the weird cross-branding period, which nicely drives home the point that the NWO angle very much did not end at Starkade 1997 like it should have. Host Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show, talking over helicopter footage because lord knows I wanted to see that again after last year. (laughs) He's joined by co-host Bobby the Brain Heenan and the professor Mike Tanay as Dusty is sadly in his NWO period, proving Heenan's warnings not to trust Dusty from earlier this series entirely correct.
1: I always trust Heenan, I keep saying. I
0: guess so. I actually would have been kind of interested to see Dusty on the commentary team in NWO mode. Yeah. Would have been a neat shift in dynamic. Do you think he would have had NWO-themed short shorts?
1: Oh, yeah, for, for sure, yeah. He definitely would have, yeah.
0: Tony makes fun of Tanay, the professor, for being in denim. Last houses, Tony. <laughs> Speaking of weird outfits, Heenan wears a white ball cap with pink squiggles to a biker rally. <laughs> Tony says the world is talking about Leno and Paige teaming up. He says, Leno's had a lot of fun at Hogan and Bischoff's expense, but when the bell rings, it's gonna be time to get serious. Tanay calls this a unique pay-per-view and recaps how this developed from a war of words to a match. Tony asks Heenan about Leno's preparation with Paige, and Heenan says people have told him that Leno's going to do better than you'd think. He's in shape, and he's ready. But he quickly moves on to talking about another match, the Battle Royal, with lots of NWO Hollywood and NWO Wolfpack members, and Goldberg. Mm-hmm. We get loads of pyro and smoke from the stage. It is a better setup this year, I think. I agree. We still have the netting, but there's much more visible metal to give that chrome look that was missing in prior years. Yes, and the entrance ramp is decorated to look like an asphalt road, complete with the yellow stripe down the middle. Mm-hmm. It's just that added little touch that's been missing in in our previous shows.
1: Yeah, it feels like on the technically the third show they finally got the idea of what this both look like.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good job. It only took you three years to yeah, figure right. it out, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> My only issue with. The staging, I think, is that you see it in the third match when they get up around the area. There's nothing on stage. Yeah. There's a lot of space up there.
0: Yeah. It could add some bikes up there, even even some fake bikes. Yeah.
1: yeah. It seems like there's this big empty space. People don't like wait there. People walk through it so quickly. It's like, why is so much empty space in
0: here? Yeah. Maybe they'll uh, add some of those in the fourth year. And finally, you know, in the show's final year, <laughs> get a actual decent set for it. <laughs> We can only hope. Tony mentions that Travis Tritt will be in concert. Yeah, we don't get that on this one.
1: Yeah, Peacock is not paying his regret for that.
0: No. We go to Mean Gene Okerland, who is seated near the top of the ramp on a motorcycle, shilling show sponsor American Iron Horse. Even his t shirt and baseball cap have the logo. I guess the hotline wasn't raking in enough dough that year. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gene had to make himself an advertising billboard. <laughs> He tells us the bike cooks. What, does it have a crock pot in there?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Maybe it's like the Mythbusters episode where they cook a Thanksgiving dinner on the drive using the car parts. To, oh, uh, yeah. Eat all the food up. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for our first match The Barbarian with the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart versus Meng. Referee for this one is Scott Dickinson.
1: Uh, Ming turned face, like, relatively, that is. You know, what I mean? he's still Ming. He's not, cut, you know, he's not kissing babies and hugging fans.
0: I don't want to see Meng with a baby. <laughs> I'm afraid of what might happen. Yes.
1: He did so early in the year by attacking Hugh Morris, which is part of the whole Dungeon of Doom stable, which is technically not a thing now, but like all the same people are still together and partnered up. But they're not called Dungeon of Doom. It officially ended in 97. Mm, so okay. the one stable ended in 1997, the other
0: split into two. I'd say not the right one, but let's be honest. Dungeon of Doom very much should have ended probably earlier than that. Yes.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah. So he's a face because he turned on his stable mates, which normally I think would make you a heel. But I guess they're bad guys. Turning on them makes you a good guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you know when Darth Vader turned on the Emperor at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, that was yeah. a, that was a betrayal, but it was you know, a betrayal to become good.
1: Right, right. Very late, but yes.
0: So Meng is Darth Vader. I think we've just established. Yeah. I could see that.
1: I'm just picturing that the hair being squished into that helmet. <laughs> uh, yeah. That wouldn't quite work. He was briefly off TV shortly after this turn, however, because they say he was an injury. It's not really clear what the actual thing was, but he was off TV after this. So he's recently come back and basically renewed the rivalry here.
0: Okay. Barbarian gets the old wistful flute music. Mang is stuck with generic rock. Shame.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Barbarian and Meng shrug off each other's blows and lock up sumo style, as Tony and Tanay mentioned that both were actually trained in sumo wrestling. Barbarian gets a cheap shot on a corner break, so Meng drives him across the ring with palm thrusts, but Barbarian hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex, only for Meng to reverse a pile driver into his own. Barbarian dodges a second rope headbutt, thanks to Hart's distraction, but Meng just lands a thrust kick. It's weird that Barbarian didn't actually get a move in off of that. Yeah, that is odd. Meng up top, but Barbarian stuns him and lands a top rope belly-to-belly suplex for two. A Meng power slam gets two. Hart distracts Meng, and Barbarian attacks from behind, and they trade blows and huge headbutts. Barbarian tries to drag Meng outside, but weirdly just kind of stops and lets Meng turn over, then finishes and throws him into the steps. Wonder if Meng got like caught up on something there, and they had to.
1: Yeah, exituate. I was kind of. I, I rewatching that, and thinking, "What's going on here?" Like, cause I don't. I couldn't tell anything.
0: Yeah, it was a weird bit, right? Yeah, he, yeah, like, yeah. He clearly pulling him out, then he just stops dead and lets Meng go. Yeah. And Meng obediently turns over, and then he pulls him all the rest of the way out.
1: You want Demi Hart to strike the free for ages? because yes. they can't figure out how to do this. Clearly not going the way they planned.
0: You know? Yeah. Back in barbarian back body drops him and stomps to load his boot, but Meng catches him with the Tongan death grip. And Barbarian collapses for the three count and the win. Pretty good cheers for that. Jimmy Hart comes in and fruitlessly pounds on Meng's back as Meng holds the grip on Barbarian. Hart beckons for help. Meng finally gets annoyed at Hart and turns, somewhat awkwardly headbutting Hart while well, on his knees. But Hugh Morris, Barbarian's tag partner, runs in and lands clubbing strikes as Hart kicks Meng. Barbarian up, kind of feels like he could have sold the death grip a little bit more there. Yeah and they beat Meng down and drag him into position for Hart to go up top and land a moderately respectable splash. Not entirely respectable, as Tony misidentifies it as a double axe handle. Hart's jump was a tad short. (laughs) Yeah. But still way, way better than Hart's effort against Man Cow on Spring Stampede 2000. That's true. (laughs) That is very true. Meng chucks Hart off of him and fights back against the three, but the numbers are too much and they beat him down. Morris slams him and Barbarian and Hart hold Meng, so Morris lands his hop rope moonsault. But suddenly, Hacksaw Jim Duggan enters and drives Morris, Barbarian, and Hart off with his 2x4. Bit of a nice touch here. Duggan actually feints a strike to get Barbarian to guard his head and then hits his chest instead. Oh yeah. I just wasn't expecting any thought beyond hit man with lumber from Duggan. (laughs) (laughs) True. There's a USA chant as the heels retreat and Meng follows. Duggan gets his theme played for a few moments before Meng's interrupts as the sound crew members remember that he actually won the match. <laughs> I do kind of wish they hadn't remembered, though, because Duggan's theme has an actual melody.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> Thoughts on this one?
1: There was a pretty slow plotting match in general. It's basically a big guys hitting each other a-, a lot. To be fair, they are two big, big sort of beefy guys. You know, slapping and chopping and, you know, all sorts of that kind of stuff. There's not a lot of variety here, really. Mm-hmm. one kind of weird thing in this match is we get, like, a very fast belly-to-belly overhead suplex early on, like, from the ground. Like, mm-hmm. way faster than like, I thought you get with Ming going over like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's actually a, a quite impressive one.
1: Right. But then they go to the top rope. They take ages.
0: Yeah, you can really see the cooperation on that one. Yeah. Which I get. Like, you, you want to make sure you're absolutely... Oh, right yeah for that but yeah it is a quite a contrast
1: yeah so it's, it's funny like the super fast throw and then the top rope you gotta take eternity yeah yeah i like the idea of the finish i get the idea is that mink can just grab you at any point with the death grip i just don't quite get why a guy like him his move is like a knockout and like a nerve pinch basically mm-hmm. i mean like they give him you know basically the uh, vulcan nerve pinch as a finisher and he's this big scary guy i think would like body slam you or splash you or kick you or something
0: I, I i don't mind his finisher i would like if he had an alternate finisher that he would use too that was more than a normal yeah. knockout one but i like the Tonkin death grip actually myself just because of how he puts it on he really gets into it
1: no yeah i could see if he did it like um started and then turn into a choke slam maybe or some sort yeah, of side slam like that yeah so you slam him down to the ring and, and then, then they continue
0: do- doing the grip yeah, yeah exactly yeah i could see that yeah I thought this was an acceptable big man match. Some nice heavy strikes, some nice power moves by both. Even though it took a while to do the super belly-to-belly, I liked how far Meng went on that. Like, Barbarian hurls him darn near the length of the ring.
1: Yeah, the final execution is fine. It's just how long a setup is.
0: There's just enough story to this to be interesting as well, with Hart's distractions keeping Meng from capitalizing on momentary advantages. It's also surprisingly short. There's some odd sloppiness here and there, particularly the weird bit with Barbarian failing to drag Meng out of the ring, but there's nothing too severe. I, I rather liked the ending. Barbarian getting overconfident, dropping his guard, and thereby getting caught by the Tongan Death Grip worked well, and it got a good reaction. This would not be my choice for an opening match, but yeah. I think they did a decent job.
1: Yeah, I feel like match four would be better to opener.
0: Yeah, probably. Three or four.
1: Yeah, I could say three or four, honestly,
0: yeah. This is a weird choice for an opener, but I think it was an acceptable match anyway.
1: Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was, There's was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just the thing with wrestling where you want to have something for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily mind having a match like this, as long as it's short and it's not sloppy. Yeah, yeah. We have a different match like this that's a little too long and very sloppy later on in the show, for contrast.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, we do.
1: Barbarian would lose a four minute match on the next Nitro to Duggan. Wow. So uh, good for him. He's a real upward trajectory here. <laughs> There's a very odd bit as well on the show. So Ming would come out after this match, this thing. He would attack everyone. He attacks Barbarian. He actually attacks Duggan, which is like, you thanks, I helped you out. But you know, <laughs> thanks for that. He would also, there's a rare bit where he actually attacks security, including Doug Dellinger. Oh, wow. Dellinger takes the Tongan death grip
0: and goes down. Ah, couldn't get to his mace in time, huh? Yes,
1: that was my notice. <laughs> yes. That's gonna be an eternal thing. Like three years from now, we'll the Nation. Like, where's that from again? I mean, oh, there's, there's
0: like literally one show where he actually does the, does it. It's the and you see, see how well it works. He's yeah. like, oh, I should try this years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's set to this whole thing where it's not clear if it's based on this match or just a coincidence, but he's booked to wrestle Goldberg for the title on that same Nitro, and in that segment, he takes all the security guys out, and I guess they're permanently locked out from the Tonga Death Grip, which. Barbarian wasn't. But I'm, I, I mean,
0: it is called the Death Grip, so you know he might be up on murder charges,
1: right? But yeah, so like, this is the whole thing where the NWO says they'll act as security for the match just so they can interfere and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as follow up to this, they announced a match between the Giant and Ming for Fall Brawl, but it didn't happen.
0: oh that kind of sounds like it'd be a fun match, actually. The yeah, I could see that. Two big Belucas there going at yeah. it.
1: You get a real experienced guy like me, I can see them working well with the Giant. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this is Giant a couple years into his run now, so presumably he's got a little bit more under his belt than in prior years. So yeah, I I could actually see that being kind of cool. Our second match is The Dancing Fools, Alex Wright and Disco Inferno, accompanied by Tokyo Magnum, versus The Public Enemy, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. Referee for this one is Mark Curtis.
1: There was a match on Nitro a few weeks out where they fought, and as part of the finish, they beat up Tokyo Magnum because he's their corner man. And while all that happened, they got a quick, you know, sort of cheap, heelish roll up out of it. So now Public Enemy wants to get revenge for that.
0: Gotcha. As we transition, we get some shots of the Sturgis rally, of course. Tanei says that Sturgis claims they've got their largest crowd in history this year. Meanwhile, Disco and Wright have already entered, and the public enemy's entrance music can be heard playing. When we cut back, they're done entering too. So sadly, this year I can't tell whether they've actually stayed in sync with each other on their arm waves. It's probably the one time they got it right. You can't disprove it either. That's the key. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Wasn't on one of the spring stampedes where Sting finally actually did hit his stinger splash against the barricade, well, but they cut but away. They, but they cut away, so we can't actually prove that it happened. Yes. <laughs> Disco, looking over the crowd, criticizes them for not showering, and informs us that he doesn't own a bike and he doesn't want to. Wright calls the bikers ugly, and Disco oddly asks Tokyo Magnum, from Japan, if there are bicycles in Germany. Tokyo understandably gives him a blank stare, and Disco decides that he doesn't speak English. I think it's your brain that needs work, Disco, not his language skills.
1: (laughs) Yeah, perhaps.
0: Incidentally, in Japan, Tokyo Magnum went by Magnum Tokyo, which is apparently a reference to adult film star Magnum Hokuto. Maybe if WCW figured reversing the name would obscure the reference.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: (laughs) Heenan mixes up Leno and Letterman, but claims both start with L, so it's close enough. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was a legit mistake, but he made it a joke very well. (laughs) Oh,
1: yeah. For sure, yeah.
0: Tony wonders why people call him the brain. Wright and Disco largely out-wrestle Rock and Grunge, getting one off a Disco roll-up and two off a Wright missile dropkick, until Wright dances at an inopportune time and eats a Rock lariat. To jokes, that's why they're called the Dancing Fools. Tony calls them Dancing Idiots. Rock and Grunge beat Wright up and double-team Disco, but Magnum hands a trash can to Wright, and he clubs Grunge with it as Rock just looks on doing nothing. Rock disappears off-camera as the Fools beat Grunge up. Curtis allows the match to continue. He then jokes that Grunge is right at home sleeping on the floor with trash around him. Ouch. Rock eventually resurfaces all the way on the entrance ramp carrying a ladder. Dude, help your buddy, then go get plunder.
1: <laughs> Should I write that down in case you get beat up by Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, I would prefer that you assist me first. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Because if there's a ladder like twenty feet in the back, I'll go get it. It's okay.
0: You know, if there's something like five feet away that you can grab to help, sure, but if you gotta be gone for a good thirty seconds, Tackle the guy.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember that.
0: Tony and Tanay are mystified by the lack of a disqualification here. So am I. Yep. Rock finally gets in, rams the ladder into the fools, and then just puts it outside. He went all that way for one attack? <laughs> Disco and Wright run away up the ramp, but Magnum urges them to return. They do, with a table which they lean at the side of the ring by another that was presumably set up by public enemy during their entrance.
1: They usually carry them out, yeah.
0: Disco gets a mic and says, if they want this to be a street fight, they brought everything but the kitchen sink. So Rock and Grunge go retrieve more weapons, including, of course, a kitchen sink.
1: (sighs) Well, they're just trying to be helpful, Bob.
0: Curtis agrees the rules change. Might as well, since he wasn't DQing anyone anyway. Yeah. They brawl in and around the ring with the trash can, its lid cookie sheets, the kitchen sink, and a toilet seat. At one point, Grunge sets a mailbox against Disco's face and punches it, which would probably cause no actual damage to Disco whatsoever, as the mailbox just crumples, absorbing all the force. I mean, seriously, there's there's no way that hurt at all, right?
1: No, I can imagine.
0: (laughs) Wright eventually retrieves the kitchen sink to beat Grunge up with that, too. At another moment, Wright bizarrely tries to smother Grunge with a cookie sheet. Rock randomly slugs Magnum, but then lets him leave without incident. Rock repeatedly goes to do something else when Grunge is visibly in trouble or even getting double teamed by Wright and Magnum. If I were Grunge, I would give him a talking to after this match. (laughs) Tony mocks Curtis for giving warnings in a no DQ match. It is doubly weird since Curtis himself declared it one.
1: (laughs) Right. It's probably just muscle memory at that point. Yeah,
0: I think so. Eventually, Wright holds Grunge, but Grunge dodges a Magnum forearm and Wright gets hit. Wright angrily storms off, and Magnum retreats as Rock beats Disco up with a ladder, props it on the ropes, and levers it into him in a goofy spot. Disco sells that about as well as Nick Patrick sold his ref bump at Hogwild 1996. (laughs) Boy, this thing's a mess, Tony says. Truer words were never spoken. Yeah. The public enemy retrieve yet another table and take forever, stacking the three tables next to the scaffolding for the ring lights, and moving a ladder near them. Disco just kind of obediently lies there unconscious the whole time.
1: He, he wants to see what they're going to do. He's like, oh, what's going on here? He has a
0: bit of curiosity about it, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Eventually, the enemy used the ladder to get Disco on top of the top table, then Rock climbs the scaffold and dives off, elbow-dropping Disco through all three tables. Grunge then pretty much ruins the spot by making Disco walk to the ring, instead of dragging him, where he pins him, for two... As he dodges a splash from a returning magnum who hits disco, getting grunge the three count and the win. Tony unceremoniously throws to the internet table. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on this one?
1: They could have made this work. I don't think it would have been a you know a five star Meltzer classic or anything, but the problem is they didn't just say, hey, we're having a street fight with these teams. Right? <laughs> Nor do they they put in the rules. Like they got in a whole thing where the build up public enemy challenge in the street fight and disco and right want to do it because they're you know cowardly heels so it's the key thing of the rules i had to wrestle a straight match and that's just what they do yeah and you know maybe you could have some sort of screwy thing where when they're about to lose they use a weapon on public enemy setting up you know nightstar rematch or something but yeah the way they do it is just so odd because they just kind of start hitting with the wep- hitting weapons in there disco later says that you want a street fight like you brought weapons in buddy. right yeah
0: i mean admittedly he's a heel he can play
1: right right yeah yeah but still
0: but yeah it, it, the weirdest thing to me is just that the ref just lets it go honestly like you could have done it where they introduce the weapons they get dq'd for it, and then public enemies like no they're not getting out this that easily making no dq and the ref agrees to it then mm-hmm. but like it's weird that there's no dq already and then they declare it a no dq match right right yeah
1: you could have had something where Disco or right maybe shut the referee and annoy him that makes him more wanting to do that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's just strange.
1: But yeah, the pace, it just really ruins the pacing. Oh, they yeah. Have a, they have a decent enough match at they're getting, honestly. It's not, again, not great, but nothing goes wrong, really, in the intro part.
0: Yeah, it's perfectly acceptable wrestling, yeah.
1: But then they, yeah, they drag out the setup so much with going back and forth and grabbing weapons. And then, like I said later, they take a long time setting up the table spot no, granted, I think the payoff's still worth it. It definitely is a long thing. The fact that they, they don't mess
0: it up is a is a oh, real yeah, boon yeah. for me. The actual spot itself goes well. Yeah. Yeah. The lead-up to it and what they do after it is poor. But the actual spot itself goes well. It's a ridiculous risk to take with a human body, but it goes well.
1: Right, right, yeah. To your point about the thing with Cisco at the end dragging him in, if they just said got anywhere and just pinned him there, that would have been something exactly. better, yeah.
0: That would have led to another problem that I'll identify <laughs> when we get to our next match, but yeah. <laughs> right, right.
1: But yeah, I will say, even when the, the latter part, when it's street fight, when it's mostly just weapon shots, and sometimes they don't always make sense, there's little bits in there, same way as is in the opening part of the match, that are actually well done, and obviously not all of it. But there's enough there where it's, it's not like a late 99 hardcore match where I'm just zoning it out because it's just constant weapon shots and like botches like the mm-hmm. the Bigelow and hardcore hack match, for instance. Right. When they botched and pretty basic was like a suplex and just like can't pay attention to it. Yeah. There's little birds of quality here that make it
0: better than other ones, but not... These guys can actually wrestle. Yes. They're just choosing to use weapons too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <sighs> that just kept going. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you. There's a few nice spots here and there, many of them by Alex Wright, who continues to acrobatically impress. But for me, they were lost amidst an endless sea of cookie sheet shots. Right. Seriously, why was that the main weapon for this match? (laughs) It's like the least threatening thing there.
1: Yeah, it makes a nice noise. That's why people like it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like you said, the rules transition midstream is just bizarre. No real explanations given for why Curtis is just willing and empowered to let them suddenly be in a street fight instead of their scheduled match and it pretty much kills the momentum of the match.
3: hmm yeah.
0: Also, as Commentary points out, it makes no sense for Disco and Wright to even want to face the public enemy in a street fight, knowing that that's their favorite fighting style. The ending spot is at least a spectacle, if one that takes a lot of time and fiddling to set it up. But, like I said, it's also a tremendous risk to the health of Rock and Disco, and just a stupid risk for them to take with their bodies. Leave over-the-top stuff like that to the video games, to be honest, that's, that's my opinion on spots like that. Mm-hmm. Worse, I really feel like having Disco walk to the ring cheapens the impact. He clearly is going there, at least partially, under his, under his own power. And having Magnum come back to deliver another blow is just meaningless. That was completely unnecessary. A guy going through three tables is not enough to right. get him down, you know.
1: If you're going to have him come back at all, you're trying to build that... You could have him be, like, on the top rope when they, you know, crotch him up there, maybe. So he sees it. Ha- he, he tries to... Yeah, or- have,
0: yeah. Brock, you know, reawakened in time to stop Magnum from interfering, Mm. and save Grunge from him, saving the pinfall, maybe. But that's it, yeah.
1: Yeah, for
3: sure.
0: I'll agree with you that this was better than some of the other hardcore matches we watched, but it is still another silly, repetitive hardcore match by WCW, made the worst by the dumb rules change, and by Rock repeatedly wandering off when Grunge was getting in trouble. I mean, there are lots of points in the match where he looks straight at him, sees him getting beaten up, and just goes and does something else. Like, are you guys fighting? (laughs)
1: Yeah, if you yeah if you're doing like a tag team and turmoil thing like they would do with Booker T and his partner for instance
0: that would seem great. It, it feels like that at certain points. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's what they were going no. for, but it feels like it's going there.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think they I don't think they ever did a breakup angle. No, yeah. Cause even when they when they go to WF very briefly, they never got around doing that anyways. I don't think they broke up in the Indies either. Yeah, I think the big problem here, other than the fact that they tamed match midstream and it just takes so long, is that. It's a three-fight-slash-hardcore match, what you want to call it, with one team very comfortable with that and one team who's not familiar with it. So maybe that's why they go to the cooking sheet saying too much. It's like we'll see later when you're teaching someone to wrestle. They only know a few things. They're going to do that as much as possible. That's all they can do. Right, yeah. The Fools would battle the bizarre duo of Jim Neidhart and the British Bulldog at Fall Brawl. (laughs)
0: Classic Bulldog promo. Yes. I'm going to rent the Royal Rumble because I'm bizarre. You're I'm like, bizarre. Why does that matter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have
1: a match at Fall Brawl. It's double, unfortunately, for a very bad reason, which we'll cover we cover Fall Brawl. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's that match. As far as Tokyo Magnum goes, so on the following night show after this show, he would be told by his partners that he needed to impress them. And to impress them, he needed to win a match. Simple enough. Yeah, yeah. He would then lose a two minute match to Eddie Guerrero.
0: At least it was to a good performer.
1: Yeah. Uh, that would lead to him being kicked out of the group. He would actually appear a couple more times later, like October, November, randomly appearing on like Saturday night as a jobber. But this is basically the end of his run with them and anybody, officially.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see like him in an actual match, because I-, I-, I have no perception from this how good he actually was, or right, if he right, yeah. you know, could actually wrestle at all or not, because he doesn't really do anything. He has a good look.
1: Yeah, he looks like he's in shape enough that he could do a lot of stuff. Yeah,
0: see him. yeah, I feel like he's probably actually pretty good, but uh, you don't get to see any of it right now. His splash was good too. Yeah, yeah, fair. oh yeah, yeah. We cut to the internet table where Lee Marshall is with Dean Malenko in referee outfit, complete with stripes, despite the fact that WCW referees don't wear stripes. True, as he's going to be the special referee for a match between Chris Jericho and Juventud Guerrera later in the night
2: obviously you need to be impartial not have an agenda be totally without any kind of bias and the question is can you be that man in the match against Chris Jericho and Ruben guerrera I got put in a situation this evening Lee Marshall to be a referee for the Cruiserweight title match and I'll just put it plain and simple to everybody out there that's listening I'm going to referee just how I see it and better yet I'm going to referee, let's just say if Chris Jericho is put in the same situation, he'd probably do the same thing as I'm going to do this evening. I don't think Chris Jericho would find that to be good news at all. If you were to act the way he were to act, Chris Jericho couldn't be impartial or call it down the middle of his life depended on it.
0: As usual with these internet station promos, we just get a clip of a longer conversation. But Malenko and Marshall do effectively build up the intrigue of Dean Malenko as guest referee in his hated rivals match. I think it actually would have been a little bit stronger without Marshall lampshading what Malenko was getting at. Yeah. Just leave it off with Malenko saying he'll act like Jericho would without explaining what he means by Mm -hmm. that. But still, I thought this was very short, but fine.
1: Yeah. It's a solid promo. Or a clip from a conversation, however, what do we call it, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now I want to see Dean Malenko imitating Chris Jericho in other parts of his act, though. Dean Malenko doing the I want you to want me Mm -hmm. bit, or Dean Malenko coming out with light up jackets. Oh, yeah. Dean Malenko reading off his list of holds, which would probably be a legit (laughs) list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Actually, Jericho and Maleko just switching gimmicks for an episode would be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It would be. Our third match is Raven with Lodi versus Saturn versus Canyon in a Ravens rules triangle match. Referee for this one is Mickey J.
1: Though the story here is that Saturn, as we covered before, was part of the flock but then turned against them. So now that he's escaped the group, you know, the cult, as it were, he's trying to free the other members. Even though they're obviously seemingly brainwashed to work under Raven. As we see, because in the build up of this, he beats up Lodi and supposedly breaks fingers on his hand. Yeah,
0: you can see his hand bandaged on this show, yeah.
1: I'm sure it was gimmick. They didn't really do it, but yeah. It's just to show the power he had over them. Obviously, the third person in this is Canyon. As we recall, he interfered because he wanted to join the group back when he's under his mask identity, right? And then he did an interesting long con where he pretended to be a camera guy and uh, right here like the cord puller and you know sort of grip for right, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. So, so he can interfere and uh, take a few brain cells off poor Raven's head with that chair shot. <laughs> the dynamic basically is that Saturn wants to destroy the flock. Cannon, while rejected by the flock, he's not actually in them. He still seems to want to protect them. It's not clear why, he's just crazy, I guess. And Raven, obviously, is very pro-flock because they do what he says, helping get title shots.
0: All right. So just to be different, WCW follows up a street fight with a street fight. To be fair, the rules are a little different here. Pinfalls count anywhere within Sturgis city limits. As we pointed out, that would have actually been a good way of doing the ending of the previous match, though that would have made those almost entirely identical in rules then. Yeah. <laughs> Now I do want to see an ending spot where one of the guys accidentally pins another one, but it's outside of the city limits, so it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. They fight for that long. (laughs) Raven, to his WWE theme on this release, comes out accompanied by Lodi, who shows off a series of signs reading, Sturgis is for losers and their fat old ladies. We hate Harleys. Biker girls are fat and ugly.
1: (laughs) Tell us how you really feel, Lodi.
0: (laughs) Saturn comes out to his very annoying siren, he has a very good biker look this time. He does, yeah. As he enters, Tony mentions that Raven has been claiming that Canyon's on his side. Today, restates basically the exact same point. Finally, Canyon, who has by far the best music of any of them, with rock organ leading to a piece with an actual melody, is outlast. That is good. Raven tells Canyon to get Saturn. Saturn instead clotheslines Canyon flat, then hits a kick combo, though Canyon goes down before he's done. Raven smacks Saturn with a chair, then throws it to Canyon, so Saturn attacks Canyon. Raven keeps sneaking in attacks on both, while the two fight. Despite Raven attacking Canyon a few times, Tony is still somehow unclear on if they might be allied.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Heenan, rapidly and very confusingly, goes over all the possible alliances of the match, and Tony sarcastically thanks him.
1: Yeah, he's obviously intentionally making it confusing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not a mess up, but that, no, no, that's a yeah, yeah. gag, yeah. Raven chills out in the corner until Canyon and Saturn finally realize what's happening. Canyon dropkicks Raven in the nuts, and Canyon and Saturn hit a double-team belly-to-back neckbreaker, and total elimination! <laughs> Sadly, Joey Styles is not there to scream that as loudly as possible.
1: He, he might have screamed it, but we can't hear him with these smiles and away.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm kind of surprised that you don't still hear that with as loud as he normally yelled yeah.
1: it. This is like a whale in the background somewhere yeah. in the distance.
0: That gets two for Saturn. Canyon strangely looked totally fine with him getting the pin there, despite this not being an elimination match. Yeah. He also takes his time breaking up a pin off a guillotine leg drop, too, but earns two with a bridging leg hook neck breaker as Saturn breaks that up with leg sweep. I always like that uh, leg sweep break up to a bridging pin. Yeah. The two stare down, so Raven takes them both out with a single chair swing. Saturn and Raven end up outside, and Canyon dives onto both. They all brawl up the entrance ramp and onto the stage, and Tony tries to sell us on the entrance ramp being actual asphalt. It's clearly painted wood. Yes. You even see a panel pop up. <laughs> oh, yeah. When uh, Canyon lands on one of them. hmm Raven collapses before the end of a Saturn strike combo. That's twice now. <laughs> Saturn gets two off of that, and Canyon pile drives Saturn for two. Canyon and Raven end up beside the ramp, and Saturn jumps off the stage for a double clothesline, and they fight back towards the ring. Back in, Canyon and Saturn dodge around Raven, and Saturn T-bone suplexes him for two. And Canyon again takes a sweet time making the save. It's a little bit more forgivable as he's clearly getting up after that quick runaround sequence, though. Saturn sleepers Raven, and Canyon sleepers Saturn, and Raven jawbreakers both. Hean calls it a triple jawbreaker, but that'd be if someone managed to jawbreaker Raven too. Mm-hmm. All three are down for a nine count until Raven covers Saturn for two. Canyon puts Saturn up top, and Raven, electric chair drops Canyon as Canyon suplexes Saturn. It's a cool spot, though, really, Canyon didn't fall any differently that way than he normally would have. Correct.
1: The way you do that with, like, a powerbomb, I can argue, you can argue, well, you just... they were
0: bringing it down faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. All three are down for an eight count. Raven gets two, with a double even flow DDT, but Canyon blocks his half. Canyon pulls Raven outside and climbs the scaffolding. Why not? Tony asks. I don't know, because bones work better when they're intact? Yeah, true. Lodi pulls Raven out of the way of Canyon Splash. Raven back in, but Saturn Death Valley Driver gets two, as Lodi saves. The flock interferes, but Saturn dodges Lodi's power throw, which hits Horace, who clocks Lodi and Raven by mistake, with his stop sign. Saturn German suplexes Horace, and Death Valley Drivers Raven for the three count and the win. Saturn celebrates to his horrible sirens as we get an extended replay of the finish. Tanay notes that the flock was not much help to Raven. Thoughts on this one?
1: It's a pretty chaotic match, but I like that, for the most part, it's always active. Mm -hmm. Because you have a third person there, you can sort of keep the flow going as you can't in maybe a one-on-one match, two-person match. Right, yeah. It's nice. Because you have all three, really, I mean, Raven, to lesser degree... You get a lot of interesting offense. You don't get the usual just suplexes and body slams.
0: Yeah, they're quite creative with it.
1: Exactly. At this point, Saturn is a good mix of power and agility. So he can still do his high-flying stuff. So you get a good mix of offense there as well. It's not just brawling with weapons, which a magic that definitely could, and as seen before, often turns into. So it's nice to see. They wrestled a fairly normal match with hardcore elements in it.
0: Right. I, I appreciated that. Yeah, they kept this mostly a wrestling match that just happened to be false Count Anywhere. Yes. And very limited hardcore stuff. It was more just the fact that they could go to different locations. Right, yeah. So I appreciated that, yeah.
1: No uh, No VCRs in this one. You yes, yes. I'm not bored with most of this. I like the idea anyways. Kanan's initiative is, on. I'll try to just dive on him. As you said, the landing and how you do that is iffy at best. But I can at least appreciate that he's trying. Hey, there's this thing here. I can try and climb it.
0: In theory, it's really good. His concerns me less than the previous matches because he doesn't go to like some completely insane height. Right. right. He climbs up about to the same height that you would be if you were jumping from the ring post. I think. Yeah. He's not much higher than that, so mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like as as nuts.
1: As always with these kind matches, I'm still a little confused as to why the flock even is less people at this point. Why they wait till like the end to try to do anything?
0: I mean, that's really the that's the question with any heel faction in a no DQ match, right? Is like why don't you just go ahead and get right get involved? And I think we've proposed in the past that I, I think still holds true to this one. Answer that question by having them get involved early. Yeah. You know, have them get involved early and get the crap beaten out of them. Yeah. Telling us, therefore, why they're knocked out and dazed for the rest of the match. And then they can get involved in the finish again.
1: Or the other way you could do it, have them all come out with Raven and him berate them saying, you know, you haven't helped me in the past. You guys are no good. You guys stay back there. So that's why they don't interfere. Yeah, yeah. But instead, he comes out with one guy who doesn't really do anything until pulling away from a splash. Right. There's little miscues here and there. Like the first time Kane does his diving breakup... He does feel like, I just recovered, I got dive, and it stopped his pinfall a bit, rather than just him standing upright kicking. You could easily do it with much less drama. You'd have to jump at him. You're standing upright. You'd have to do a big elbow drop to the top.
0: Canyon's pin breaks in this match are weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. There are
1: times it makes more sense, at least.
0: He he frequently waits until the last minute when he actually has the time, when he's actually able to do it earlier. Yeah. I, I think his timing's just a little off on, like, getting up after a move or something, and so... He's probably supposed to be just getting up, seeing the pin going on and breaking it up. But he, you can see him watching at one point going, one, two, and then jumping. Right, right, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it, it could be that or it could be something like, he thinks it looks cooler and more dramatic to jump in at the last minute. Mm-hmm. These sort of diving breakups. But yeah, he doesn't have to for sure. Yeah, yeah. And beyond all of that, Saturn hits his finish. Then stuff happens. He just hits his finish again. Yeah, it'd be
0: nice if there were a little bit more if his finisher wasn't going to work the first time.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Admittedly, uh, Lodi does save from the finish the first time. Right, right. So I think the implication is it would have worked the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My issue is just that he's doing the same move twice in a row like that. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. I am very glad that when I did my rewatch for show notes, I watched this match on a separate night from match two. As you you may recall, when we were originally watching this, I was very much not into this match. Yes. And that was because it was, you know, another chaotic brawl after we'd just seen a match that became that. Mm -hmm. But watching it on its own, it is a fun three way match with some very creative spots to it. I really appreciate that they kept changing things up. They switched out who was fighting, played with the story of Raven manipulating the other two into fighting, made use of the Foxhound Anywhere step to fight up the stage. And then finally introduced the flock for a few critical spots. So they never let the match get stale. There were weird, awkward points. Like we said, Canyon repeatedly just kind of watching during pinfall before deciding to break it up. Canyon and Raven both forgetting parts of Saturn's combos and just going down early. Yeah. And the timing just seems a tad off during the ending sequence as well. But those complaints and a little bit too much brawling aside, I did find this a fun watch.
1: Yeah, it just occurs to me. I was pointing earlier about how they had this big stage and nothing ever on it. They could have had the flock waiting on the stage up there, mm-hmm. watching the match. And maybe when they get near it, Reno Raven says something like, no, where I got this, you know, overconfident as a heel. Right, yeah, yeah. So it them being there as a looming thing that could interfere at any point, as opposed to just kind of running out suddenly out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe the flock was all palling around with Rock or Rock backstage and all of them sharing in their inability to recognize when their buddies are in trouble.
1: Yeah, that could be. <laughs> the story of Raven continuing lashing out of the flock would continue to lead to a match between him and Saturn where, if Saturn wins, the flock would be freed from their control. That would happen at Fall Brawl, the next pay per view. Okay. Kanan would, of course, get involved.
0: Okay. Our fourth match is Psychosis versus Ray Mysterio Jr. for the right to challenge for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Referee for this one is Charles Robinson.
1: So earlier in 1998, Ray would be legit injured, leading to an angle where Jericho would attack his knee. Does this sound familiar at all? To anything? <laughs> he returned later in the year to go after the title. Interestingly, he'd be looking a no more contenders match against who to Guerrero, but due to shenanigans involving Chris Jericho. He wouldn't win that match. Ah, uh, okay. However, he would then, on the pre road Wild Nitro, wrestle Chris Jericho on a non-title match and beat him. Okay. And someone in the build-up to this, Psychosis beat Humberto Guerrero in a singles match. So that's kind of why the idea, how they, these two are the top contenders, because they didn't win this match, but they... We've beaten the current
0: champion and the current number one contender. Exactly. Yeah. Psychosis enters to his side-scrolling brawler music. His mask remains awesome. Mm-hmm. Rey Mysterio is in black and purple today. It's a good outfit, but not as cool as the last two years, I think. Agreed, yeah. He gets the crowd to rev their engines. Tony wonders if Jay Leno is feeling some butterflies backstage. Heenan says they might have to call the SWAT team to get him out of his trailer, and says that even he, and he was tougher, smarter, and sharper than Jay Leno, was scared to death on his first match. <laughs> you were tough and smart and sharp, Tony inquires. Thank you, Heenan says. i <laughs> how you
1: respond to that, yes.
0: Psychosis keeps Mysterio grounded and works the arm, but Mysterio drives him from the ring with a dropkick. Tony says that Mysterio has heart and determination, much like Heenan when he first started wrestling. Heenan, with some rare humility, admits that he didn't. He just tried to save his tail. <laughs> <laughs> Psychosis back in. And they lock hand to hand, and Psychosis just kind of falls over before throwing Mysterio down and getting three two counts and a one count. A series of counters ends in a Mysterio ankle lock scissors takeover, thanks to Nay, for two. Psychosis flips free of a tilt a whirl and gets two counts with a clothesline and stalling sit out front suplex. Mysterio struggles to stand, and Psychosis hurls him around the ring and beats him up. But Mysterio counters nothing in particular off the top rope with a boot and fires up running Psychosis down the turnbuckles from top to bottom, dodging around his attacks, and whipping through the ropes into a cartwheeling Hurricanrana. Nice. Mm -hmm. Mysterio earns two with a top rope crossbody, but Psychosis counters Arana with a powerbomb for two and criticizes the count. Tony says everyone who's fought Mysterio has felt that frustration when he just won't stay down. Right, yeah. More good commentary on a Psychosis electric chair drop for two, as Tony points out that he made sure to lock Mysterio's arms and legs to prevent him from countering the drop. Frustrated, Psychosis lands heavy strikes inside and outside the ring, as one jerk in the crowd yells, boring. I swear there's like one dude that follows Mysterio around to say that. It's, yeah. It like always sounds like the same voice.
1: Yeah, it, it's like it's the, uh, you guy from Family Guy, just always around.
0: Psychosis top-rope Frankensteiner for two. He pauses, climbing up again to glare at Robinson, so Mysterio drop kicks him out onto the platform, Springboard flips onto him, and sends him back in for a sunset flip for two. Mysterio slides through Psychosis' legs and hooks his neck with his leg for a neat variant facebuster, then hits a seated Springboard and boon assault. calls it split-legged, but it doesn't really look like it.
1: Yeah, the common thing, yeah.
0: For two. Psychosis, single-leg takedown, that's almost a powerbomb for two. Mysterio dodges a Psychosis leap, and Psychosis hits the ropes, so Mysterio springboards from the apron in a hurricanrana for the three count and the win. Psychosis did not flip correctly for that last spot. No. Basically landing face first and then rolling over. Mm -hmm. Ow.
1: Well, combine that with his bump off the ropes, which didn't look great for his neck either. Yeah,
0: yeah. That got a big reaction from Tony. Heenan jokes about nose dives. <laughs> Robinson raises Mysterio's arm, then goes to check on psychosis because, yeah, that looked like that hurt.
1: Yeah, a little slow getting to him, but yes. He yeah,
0: yeah. Thoughts on this one?
1: I liked it. It was a very strong competitive match. As I'm sure they, they mentioned in commentary, these two have had a very long-winning rivalry. In fact, depending on who you ask, they have a big role in bringing Lucha Libre to the forefront. Mm-hmm. I don't think they wrestle each other, but definitely are both on the AAA When Worlds Collide show that WCW paid to get released in America. But on top of that, these two went to ECW together in '95, I want to say. Had a series of matches, which brought a lot of attention to that, which got him signed to WCW. I think both of them actually signed together, courtesy of Conan, as you mentioned last year's show.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: it's a case of them having wrestled each other several times, probably a dozen times at this point, who knows? They definitely know each other really well. I like that they try different stuff like the bridging like extra teardrop, which I think yeah. in the games used to be called something like the Queen suplex or something weird. I think there's a Japanese lady wrestler that used to do that as a finish. Mm-hmm. My only issue with the match, I would say, and it's really not you with the match itself, is that we don't get a video package for this like storyline. You could have shown clip from the matches, like, you know, him against Huvey showed Jericho interfering. Yeah, yeah anything. Give Ray like 30 seconds to cut a promo about how he's he come back from injury. He's going to come back and beat Jericho or something.
0: Yeah. There's a real dearth of video packages tonight and the commentary team does good work on making up for that. Right. But the live crowd doesn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, promo content missing or, or video packages mm-hmm. missing that really would benefit some of the batches on this show.
1: Yeah, so this match is one of those ones where they're essentially thrown out there to a lot of the live audience there probably doesn't watch the show they may, may recognize ray from previous shows he's been on the last two but they don't get a quick recap for the story so they get basically thrown out there and they have to win this crowd over with their wrestling which thankfully you have the right two people for for that
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah that was a good match
0: yeah i thought this was good fun complex and interesting spots a lot of exciting flips and dives and a good story of psychosis is growing frustration making him make mistakes that open up mysterio comebacks Highlighted very well by the commentary team. That said, I did find it had some flaws. There's some odd spots where it's not entirely clear what the idea was for a fall. There's a few minor flubs that seem like they made moves hit a little harder than intended. And there were holds that slowed things down a little bit too much for my taste. So I feel like I didn't like this as much as I expected to like this with these two. But at the same time, I still liked this. Mm -hmm. It's like it's still a good match, but I kind of expected a better match from these two.
1: Interesting. Okay. It could also be a case of the flip side of them working so much together over the years, is they're thinking, "Hey, I got to try these new spots out."
0: Try Might not be things. fully established on. A, yeah, gotcha. There's
1: a little bit some interesting stuff. I mean, that where um, mm-hmm. he started with look, look, it gives me like a flapjack, and they turned him around, and it's basically a spinebuster. That looked really good. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, there, there's definitely some some really nice moves in this match. That ending fall though, ow. Yeah, I'm very glad that I know that psychosis had many more matches afterwards because that for a second, looks like a career-ender.
1: Mm, yeah. The other thing I was thinking, watching these, thing Ray two years in a row now, is the third show, is you can see how he's changing physically over the years as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's definitely bulkier than he was in the last two shows, notably.
0: Yeah, yes, definitely, notably, bulkier.
1: He's still a healthy level, but, like, watching 96 Ray and watching 98 Ray, you can tell that he has done things to change himself. Yes. Well, Ray would get a towel shot. It would happen in october okay so you know no no rush or anything i guess <laughs> he would end up having a uh time limit draw against the tampa because this match happened on nitro it's not even pay-per-view it's not you know halloween havoc it's just a random nitro like a month and a half from now he gets his match oh weird yeah i don't know if there's war to the story of that there's a lot of stuff going on with the cruiserweight title so maybe just it's not like top priority i don't know I in hindsight they don't say when the match is gonna take place
0: yeah it's the uh Lex Luger winning a title shot against Hulk Hogan bit.
1: Yes. You you get
0: the challenge for the title. When? Uh whenever we feel like it.
1: Yeah. He wins that what April and he has the match in August, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> As we get some rally shots and more helicopter footage, Tony shills Sturgis's leather stores and claims that Sturgis is always exciting, but Jay Leno's presence makes it even more so. It's still kind of weird hearing Jay Leno associated with a biker rally. I know his enormous classic vehicle connection does contain a considerable amount of motorcycles, and to be fair, he's hosted motorcycle charity event, The Love Ride, for years, but I always associate him more with cars. Some sort of car show event featuring 1940s autos crossed with a WCW show? Sure, but a bike rally just feels like a weird fit for Leno.
1: Yeah, he has some sort of connection to the classic Indian motorcycles when I was reading off Google, trying to just look at his history with him as
0: well. Yeah.
1: Because as you said, a lot of it is after this, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Heenan jokes that there's so much leather in Sturgis, his steak dinner was made of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Our fifth match is Chavo Guerrero Jr. with Pepe, the wooden horse. Is Mm -hmm. it Pepe? Pepe, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Versus Stevie Ray for Stevie Ray's WCW World Television Championship. The referee for this one is Mickey J. A
1: little while back, Booker T became TV champion, but unfortunately he got injured. So, rather than, like, doing a title term and vacating it, they had this whole story where Steve Ray just showed up one day, like, the next Nitro, with the belt, saying that he has Booker T's power of attorney, so he's able to, like, claim the title that way. Okay. Like, I guess that kind of, sort of, makes sense, if Booker owned, quote-unquote, owns a title as champion. Yeah, I don't know. I, c- kind of. It's enough very it can pretend it makes sense, at least. But yeah, it's uh, very strange. At the same time, the redness angle over the last several months at this point, where Eddie Guerrero is ashamed of his nephew Chavo, leading to multiple matches, as we've covered a couple of them at this point. He's two by now, of this story. Yeah. The idea is he's basically driven crazy at this point. He slowly snapped, so he's playing this bizarre comedic character who would often wear the Eddie Guerrero's My Favorite Wrestler t-shirt, and he's talking to one horse who thinks is real. Kind of foreshadowing the thing they did to Perry Saturn in WWF, where they gave him Moppy. Yeah, okay. Slightly more dignified than that. Slightly. <laughs> As part of that angle, there was a show where Eddie insisted that Chavo had to wrestle someone else before he'd get a shot at him. And that person ended up being Stevie Ray. So there is a brief, bizarre match we'll cover on, on another show where TV Ray and Chavo Guerrero wrestle. And that's sort of where he gets a take on all of this. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's not as random as it seems, but it's still pretty random. Chavo is out first with his toy horse, Pepe. Literally one of those horse head on a stick toys for kids. And a multi-page contract, which unfortunately clearly is shown on camera at points, which allows us to see that it has literally no actual words on it. Mm-hmm. It appears to just be one capital letter repeated over and over. Probably X, I couldn't tell for sure. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even do the lorem ipsum text? No, no. Chavo grabs a mic and claims that the match is null and void because he has a contract that he typed and stamped with a notary seal that says that he's the champ. Even if he had to type it twice because Stevie Ray ripped up the first one. Mm -hmm. Stevie's out next, carrying his title belt. Tony says that Chavo's claims are silly, but Stevie's are similar, and Tanay agrees that it's not that far off from how Stevie himself got the title. A guy in the crowd holds up a flyer for Attitude Adjusters, your favorite flavored gourmet lollipops. No, really. Yeah, yeah, that's true. At a biker rally. And he looks like a tough dude, too. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm always going to think lollipop when John Cena hits his finisher. Mm -hmm. Parts of the crowd dance along with the Harlem Heat theme, which is certainly a change from a couple years ago. (laughs) True, yes. Yeah. Heenan jokes that since Chavo's got the notary public stamp, he should go ahead and write his will now. (laughs) Heenan wants Pepe. Chavo asks Stevie if he can read and tells him to hand over the belt. Even Pepe says Chavo's the champ. Finally agreeing to have the match, Chavo insists on a ceremonial handshake. He offers his hand, and Tine notes that the last time someone shook hands with him, Chavo immediately submitted, and Stevie wants no part of that. Why not? He'd win.
1: In this case, yeah.
0: Chavo's hand attacks him, but he fights it off and lands several ineffectual strikes on Stevie, then runs away inside and outside the ring a lot. Eventually, Stevie gets wise to it and just waits for him to run back into the ring, kicks him in the gut, and hits the slapjack, a double underhook pile driver, for the three-count in the win. (laughs) That happened. Stevie requests a microphone and says if anyone thinks he's a joke, they get what Chavo got, and he's not finished with him yet. But suddenly, Eddie Guerrero charges in and grabs Stevie's title belt then talks Stevie down and drops the belt for him to take it back. Stevie makes his exit, and Eddie goes to check on Chavo. The commentators wonder what's going on as they blame Eddie for driving Chavo insane in the first place. Eddie tries to convince Chavo to accept his help, but we cut away to the internet table. But first, let's discuss this... match?
1: Yes, I guess so.
0: So, thoughts on it?
1: Uh, yeah, my note was that it was a bizarre comedy segment, more than a match. It's weird because, like, the first strike he does, if he drop takes C Ray's knee and he seems like he legit sells it. Right, yeah. And then he no sells direct punches. Like, so wait, did that first one not hurt you? Even the simple thing, they can't seem to quite get straight here.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's really hard to tell what the concept of this match actually is.
1: Yeah. To his credit, Javo really commits to this part. Even when someone's doing a bad comedy or like doing a terrible sketch on like Saturday Night Live or something. If they're really committed, you can just go, well, this guy is really in to win it, you know, so to speak. I can agree for that, I guess.
0: You can't blame him for it not going well. Right. He's doing his part on it. It's just that it really isn't that well thought out of a concept in the first place. Yes. Yeah.
1: I also like to note that Stevie Ray is dressed like a Reese's uh, peanut butter cup. (laughs) And he's at this show and not Halloween Havoc.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like you said, this was not a match. It was a comedy segment. It's all right for what it is, but um, it's too long. Mm-hmm. And I say that with it only lasting like two minutes and 30 seconds, I think. Right. I did like that Stevie just eventually figured out to wait for Chavo to come back, but that's about all this would good for. It's a shame because Chavo could manage to mix comedy and a genuine fight from beneath underdog performance quite well, I'm sure. Yeah. But the dials just turned far too much towards the former and basically not at all to the latter this time.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's doing shtick from Dr. Strangelove, where his hand is attacking him. It's like, yeah, what? What is this?
0: It's a very, very odd thing that I think, like I said, if you had figured out a way to have it start with that and go into an actual match where Chavo's kind of an endearingly crazy underdog babyface, and then maybe, you know, gets derailed by his insanity towards the end of the match again or something like that, this might be worth something. Yeah. But as it is, it's just like, why did you put this on a pay per view?
1: Yeah. The only way I could see it is maybe do the same setup, but cut a lot of this. And it's just, again, we say filler and it's only two and a half minutes long, but
0: <laughs> No, it's. It's funny, but it go, is. Like, it's, fu- it's filler. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So instead of having the whole chase thing and all that build up, when he go for the handshake, just kick him in the gut and hit their move on it. and tell the ref to, you know, ring a bell and count a pin or something. Yeah. That'd be fine. Yeah. The other thing I would notice we are um, two for two on matches where someone looks like dropped dropped their face
0: yeah true
1: tv ray he basically does the original version of the pedigree
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the one Triple H stopped doing because he dropped a guy in his head so not learning lessons from that i guess <laughs> tv ray would lose the tv title on the next nitro but i won't spoil who that is too yet
0: okay uh anything with arian chavo
1: Uh, They don't wrestle on pay-per-view again after this. I I think they're still keeping the story going, but it's not a big match they're building up to after this. Okay.
0: Chris Jericho in Cool Shades is with Lee Marshall at the internet table.
2: You know, Chris, is, this is what fans came from all over the world to see all in over. South Dakota. They want to see you fight to, they want to the see me. Cruiserweight Championship. No more law books, no more rule books. You're going to have to get in there with who? As Tukerira. always, and Malenko as the referee. Well, first of all, every single time I step in the Wrangley Marshall, and you of all people should know this, especially the idiot Deli Boy should know, that I always give 100% with the Jericho-holics behind me, and tonight the conspiracy continues with Dino Machino-Malenko as the special guest referee. Well, Dino,
4: you're not going to be able to cheat your way out of this one, because I'm I'm going to be watching you. I got my people here watching you. I got the people backstage watching you. And Juventude, quasi-juice, I already took your mask. I already exposed
0: your ugly, whiny, twisted little face. So tonight, you're going to get thrown out and you'll be finished. And Malenko, you better keep your nose in joint. You better stay straight. This is it. This is the end.
2: The conspiracy ends tonight. You know, Dean Malenko said that he is
0: good. Excellent heel who thinks he's in the right promo from Jericho here. Yeah. I love that even as Marshall is starting to ask his question, Jerrica is already claiming that he's already a fighter. He's preemptively defending himself. Right, yeah. (laughs) You really get a sense of him truly believing that he's the wronged party, and that all he's been doing is trying to get justice, even though the truth is exactly the opposite. Yes. It's an excellent performance, and it can be hard to get that balance right. Mm -hmm. He doesn't sound just comedic here. He He sounds like an aggrieved, wronged person, Yeah. Yeah. except that we all know that he's actually the cheater. Mm-hmm. Oh, It's okay. a really interesting uh, uh, character bit.
1: This is definitely peak Jericho in WCW. It's a shame that we don't get to this point until like right before he's going to leave the company, which is yeah. before the next show. He leaves uh, January 99, I think, is when he leaves. Got Something it. like that, yeah. So he's not long for the company. Like he, You finally got this down where you need it to be. It's not his fault, obviously. It's kind of a shame that it took this long to get this version of Jericho on the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. So our sixth match is the Dogface Gremlin, Rick Steiner versus Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner in a brother versus brother match.
1: So this is a match they've been sort of messing with and putting off for quite a while. It goes back to, I want to say, which show which was. it's a February pay-per-view where they have the big turn. Scott Steiner betrays his brother and joins the NWO. Super Superbrawl. Thank you. That's the one. Yeah. Unless we get the birth of Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner... The early version where he's dyed his hair blonde, except for the part of his goatee, which is not blonde, which is a thing people did. Yeah. <laughs> it's the reverse Hogan. Hogan does his mustache blonde and his rest of his his stubble black. Yeah. True.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They
1: they really coordinate that quite well. I thought it's funny to think of this. Talk again, talking about getting character balance right. Scott Steiner pre heel turn is this bad? Do <laughs> you know? Shrug's off a motorcycle accident last year's show to come for a world title match, or a world tag title match, rather. He'll fight their injury, they'll fight handicap matches against the Outsiders. Now, immediately, once he's a bad guy, constantly running away from his brother, mm-hmm. pretty free to fight anybody that's not,
0: you know, like uh, Silver King or somebody. And that's that's a problem I have with a lot of wrestling heels, honestly. Yeah. There seems to be a certain point, I think it's because of things like the NWO and... And maybe characters like Austin. Mm-hmm. There was a certain point where, if you fought, even if you used dishonorable tactics, you were taken as a face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the variety of things that you could do to be taken as a heel by the crowd really, really shrank. Yeah. You started to see a lot, a lot more cowardly heels yeah. because that was the only thing during this period people could reliably do to be taken as bad guys by the crowd. You had to show yourself to be a coward.
1: McFloyd would do that in ECW. He became he a heel. He became pro-WCW kissing you know, Eric Bischoff, <laughs> And he's like, don't
0: fight me. You know, I I want to be friends with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, like, in early 90s, Vader. Mm-hmm. Vader is an absolute, just massive, destructive beast yes. of a man, and totally willing to charge into fights with everybody. Yes. He just also happens to have someone that'll cheat for him in matches, and he shows himself willing to hurt his opponents more than necessary to win. That's what makes him a bad guy. And people take him as a bad guy. There's people that are like, wow, he's an awesome bad guy, but they still treat him as a bad yeah. guy. If he's fighting Sting, they boo Vader. Right. But you hit the late 90s, and for some reason, that seems to start fading away, where you just can't have a intimidating... Massive bad guy like like a Vader, yeah, and have the crowd still react to him as a bad guy. They've like lost, either just the atmosphere has changed because of things like the NWO angle, Mm -hmm. or they've just lost track of how to do that balance just right. Yeah, and so you get a lot of people where really, yeah, I mean Scott Steiner is a bad guy should be Vader, yeah, sure. And like I said, I think I said last year, like Hulk Hogan is a bad guy. He models himself a little bit off of Ric Flair, kind of, but he should be modeling himself off of Vader. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan as a face is the monster face. Right. Hulk right, Hogan yeah. as a heel should be a monster heel. Right. Steiner as a face was the monster face. He should be a monster heel. But both okay. of them go cowardly heel.
1: Well, they'll talk about heel wrestling time. They'll, they'll say so and so. He can really go in the ring, but he chooses to take the shortcuts. Right. He'll take a low blow rather than working harder to take a guy down.
0: But yeah, I mean, they just, they shouldn't be doing the I retreat, I dodge matches, that kind of stuff. They should be the intimidating, in your face, I'm throwing everything I've got at you and, and overpowering you and that kind of stuff, but I'm just going too far, or like you said, I'm taking shortcuts, but it's not that I won't fight you. Mm-hmm. With both of them, they go cowardly heel with it, and it just, you lose so much of what their character was, and it's, it's just such a weird thing with both of them. I feel like they both go down the same track, and it's just straight Yeah, both. there's
1: a bit of learning the wrong lesson, I think, because classic heel flare, he doesn't back necessarily back down from challenges. He's not happy you know, when Sting face title because he think he knows Sting can beat him, or he yeah. knows Luger can beat him, or you know Magnum TA, whoever it's going to be. He knows they can beat
0: him. He'll just try and have him softened up first by the horseman right. or something like that, that. Yeah.
1: yeah. When well, during a match itself, he'll try to rescue you normally. You know, Luger will push him down and flex, and to be terrified. But then he'll wait till you know Luger runs in the corner and bumps his knee, and then he's like, "Aha! I'm and, like never right. again."
0: Yeah. Admittedly, like Hogan, I think adjust to it after the first year to some extent, but, a certain extent, yeah. you know, like, I remember us commenting in that first match he has against the Giant, this is so strange, yeah, where he just keeps retreating and keeps acting like a coward, and the commentators are selling it as he's acting like a coward, and I'm like, this is not how you should do a Hulk Hogan heel. Right. He gets a better balance in the future years, but... actually
1: yeah, especially comparing that match to earlier matches he's had against the Giant, when the Giant was a heel. Right, yeah. He's not afraid of the Giant until suddenly he is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you get the same thing with Scott Steiner. It's like you said, he never backs down from a fight. Suddenly, he turns bad guy, but rather than being this huge, intimidating bad guy, he just starts backing down from fights. Right. I mean, you can do that once or twice. You can you can certainly do that, like have a, a guy becomes a bad guy because his personality has changed mm-hmm. in some really notable fashion. Certainly, you can do that, but it just feels weird for that to happen multiple times, and it, it feels homogenous. Yeah, like, yeah. all the all the heels start acting the same way during this period, and it gets kind of boring that way. Right, right, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I yeah, let us yeah. on a tangent. Anything else on that? But yeah, no, so the, the,
1: they've just been pushing off this match in one way or another, and now we're supposed to finally, for real, get this, the match between the two of them. They're pushing off since then.
0: Okay. More helicopter footage brings us to our next match. First, out to Steinerized, despite the fact that this is a match against his brother— is Rick Steiner. Slightly awkward there. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, J.J. Dillon comes up to the apron holding a microphone and paper. Dillon tells Rick he's sorry, but there's no way this match can take place. Rick says he knows his brother's here, but Dillon says that Rick whacked Scott with a chair, and now the doctors say Scott can't wrestle for two weeks. Rick points to the stage where we see Scott on a stretcher, wheeled out by Buff Bagwell. Yes. Both of them have neck braces, and Scott has an oxygen mask mm-hmm. and arm and leg wraps. Buff says he wants Rick to see what he did to his brother. Buff asks Scott if he's okay. We can't really hear the reply. The crowd chants, "bulls" mm-hmm. A lot. Yes. Buff blames Rick for hurting Buff as well. Buff says the match will not take place tonight, which Dylan already said. Yeah. Dylan says Buff's right. The match can't take place tonight because Buff and Scott's doctor said so and WCW's doctor verified it. So that means that the doctor wasn't lying then.
1: Yeah. True.
0: But the contract says that WCW can reschedule it. So it'll take place at the next pay-per-view, Fall Brawl. The crowd boos. Buff says the doctor's note may say two weeks, but who's to say Scott will be ready by then with his severe injuries? Buff asks Scott and he mumbles something about thinking he can, but Buff is not so sure. Dylan says he'd better be ready, because if he doesn't wrestle, he'll be barred for life. That finally gets a cheer. A shock Scott sits up and gets off of his stretcher, as Tanay jokes that it's a miraculous recovery. Mm. Hallelujah, Tony chimes in. (laughs) Rick charges, but Scott and Buff shove the stretcher at him and flee, with Rick giving chase as we cut to yet more helicopter shots. Thoughts on this segment.
1: I mean, a bait-and-switch is a bait-and-switch no matter how much nonsense you padded in, basically, yeah. at this point. not even the first time they've done something like this. They just keep not giving people this match. It's, I don't get it.
0: Yeah. It's like, you shouldn't be surprised when the crowd boos when yeah. they hear about the match being rescheduled. Dylan says that line like he's expecting cheers, like, aha, I'm forcing the heels into uh, a point, but mm-hmm. they're not buying it. No. Why would they? You're promising them on a future show when you've just broken a promise. Why would they believe you?
1: Exactly, yeah. It's it's bad business.
0: Yeah. Holy crap, what an awful idea this was. Yeah. You have Rick Steiner here, you have Scott Steiner here, so why not just have the match? Was Scott actually hurt? Then have Rick fight Bagwell, have a match at least.
1: Yeah. It reminded me of the Starcade where Kevin Nash is supposedly injured and can't lose the Giant, so Scott all comes out and says he can't be there, and then those two don't have a match,
0: right? Yeah, I them. mean, at least with that one, he gets to like choke slam Hall or like or he like does the jackknife to him. I think I think so. So at least he gets something for the yeah. crowd at that point.
1: But they don't get a replacement match.
0: So. Yeah, but I mean, even if they do reschedule the match for Fall Brawl, even if they end up fulfilling that promise, what good does that do to the fans that came to watch this match at this show? Right. Tony even mentions at the beginning, you know, people probably came to see this match, mm-hmm. and it makes sense because the Steiners on the Hog Wild and Road Wild show before this. They've been very popular with this crowd. Yes. You know, so it makes sense that people might have legitimately come to see this specific match. Right. And you didn't give up to him. Yes. It's like you better have had a darn good excuse. You better have had a darn good excuse cuz this was a terrible, terrible waste of everybody's time. Agreed. The one thing that I will say for this slightly in his favor, I think Buff actually does a really good job. Mhm. He does a good cowardly heel act. He does. I did like his bit, like, well, you, you know, the doctor said two weeks, but you know, who knows, with injuries this severe, he's like, the moment that they're trying to push him, he's backing down again. Yeah. So I liked his performance there, but anything good that I can say about it is lost between just what a massive farce this segment yeah. was.
1: I mean, if you're going to split the difference in this, have J.J. Dillon pop up and say... I'm not sure we can have this match. Don't be definitive like we can't do it. Say, I'm not sure we can because they gave me a note saying he's injured.
0: Yeah, don't make the WCW doctor have said that that's true. They're not heels then. Like they legitimately are injured and can't have the match. Yeah. You can't blame them. He's actually injured. That's what we came out of this with. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Do a shortened version of the back and forth. Oh, I can't wrestle, blah, blah, blah. And then basically force the match to happen. Say, if you guys don't have this match, which it's contracted that you'll violate a contract. You can't wrestle ever again. Have a match like this, but even if it's an abbreviated, yeah, one, even if it's tease, yeah. tease, T's taking the match away after having done this already, but then actually have the match,
0: yeah. Or at, like I said, at the very least, have Rick fight Buff. Yeah, you know, Dylan says, "Well, you're right, Scott can't wrestle because the WCW doctor confirmed that he's injured, but he said that you were lying about your injuries, Buff. So get in here." You know, something like that. So this crowd still gets something. Yeah. Like, it's so asinine, and it takes a very long time to get through it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. uh, It's... I hated this segment.
1: It's (laughs) really... I hated it. They do actually have a match at full brawl.
0: Oh, okay. Good. At least something happens.
1: Yeah. So they get past this phase, at least. Yes. Jeez.
0: So our actual sixth match... (laughs) is Brian Adams with Vincent versus Mongo McMichael. Referee for this one is Billy Silverman.
1: So at this point, uh, Ric Flair is absent from the company due to an actual legit issue with Eric Bischoff. He told them, like, I want to say three weeks out, I'm not going to be able to be at the show because my son Reed is in a wrestling tournament, don't book me. Right. You know, I'll be all coming back after that. Eric decided last May he's going to book him, then he gets really annoyed when he doesn't show up last minute when he's already said he's not going to be there. So he's suspended. So while this is going on, Mongo's back from recent injury. He had a broken arm, which they referenced in the commentary. Yes. So he's trying to reform the Horsemen in storyline. Arguably, they're still mad at the NWO, even with the confusing split with the Hollywood and Wolfpack, because they did still you know make fun of our Anderson and attack them constantly. So
0: right, fences have not been
1: mended between Mongo and company with them.
0: Right, and to be fair, like, Brian Adams is NWO Hollywood, so it's definitely still the heel faction. I, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: He, he's not wrestling Conan or somebody, yeah. Absolutely. My I know it was, since all the big stars have booked in the semi-main event, here's Brian Adams. <laughs> you, get, you get whoever's left over from the NWO side. Yeah. NWO theme count, one.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Adams and Vincent enter, with Vincent weirdly jogging ahead, going boom, 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 as he tugs on his shirt. You you okay there, buddy? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Adams has a rather nice bald eagle bandana, so there's that at least. Yeah? His outfit is still strange, though. We're in the split NWO era, and he's part of the black and white Hollywood faction, but he has the NWO logo on his tights in red.
1: Yeah, I noticed
0: that. He does that. Like, I've noticed that on a few shows. It's very strange that no one ever thought, hey, hey, guy, should probably just go black and white. Yeah, right. Mongo sadly doesn't enter to the horseman theme, instead having some generic hard rock. At least it does have a melody. Weirdly, Tony gives ring announcer Penzer permission to speak. (laughs) Okay. Tony praises Mongo's toughness and claims that he even only took time off for a broken arm because he was forced. Tanay says that Mongo's recruiting to try to bring back the four horsemen. Mongo gets Adams in the corner and breaks clean. See, that's how a good guy does it, Mongo proclaims. (laughs) I love you, Mongo. (laughs) Adams returns the favor, and Heenan wonders if there's a mutual respect between them, but admits it's probably a con. Adams challenges Mongo to a test of strength, and Mongo asks the crowd if he should accept. They cheer, so he does, and Adams immediately kicks him. Darn it, crowd, don't mislead Mongo. He's very impressionable. Yes. (laughs) Stop fooling Mongo. Adams lands strikes, but Mongo dodges a clothesline. Maybe. Does a strange stutter step and goes for what Adams clearly thinks is going to be a neckbreaker, but becomes eventually a DDT. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Tanay calls it a, quote, unique takedown, which is Tanay lingo for horrible mistake.
1: Yes. That's the, uh, like, JR's modified infant yeah, move yeah. name here.
0: Adams rolls out, which I'm pretty sure is him legit needing a moment to recover from that. Yeah. Back in, Mongo stops a cheap shot, but Adams counters a big boot with a massive slam and gets two from a short leg drop. Couple nice spots there anyway. Yeah. Adams nerve hold, and he lariats Mongo outside and distracts Silverman while Vincent throws Mongo to the steps for about a point two Cena. Yeah. Would have made point three if they weren't strapped to the ring post.
1: It is weird. That they still have them like that.
0: Yeah. I'm guessing, I mean, if they got knocked off the platform, that could be pretty bad. So Right.
1: There is still a gap, though. And so it's yeah. not like they're like, right next to the barricade. But still, yeah, it's yeah. better safe than sorry.
0: Mongo no-sells Vincent strikes, but Adams saves Vincent. Back in, Adams gets two with a backbreaker, but Mongo slams him and hits repeated three-point stance charges until Adams grabs Mongo by the throat, and Mongo just kind of falls. Yeah. Adam's pile driver, but Mongo's foot lightly brushes Silverman's chest, so Silverman's out cold. <laughs> yes. Adam stomps on Silverman, then holds Mongo for a Vincent chair shot, but Mongo dodges and Vincent nails Adams. Mongo knocks the chair into Vincent, then hits the Mongo Spike, his tombstone pile driver, on Adams for the three count and the win. Tony calls this a major upset. The match was certainly upsetting.
1: Yeah, I don't know if at this point beating Brian Adams is an upset for like anybody at this point.
0: <laughs> Probably would be for Vincent.
1: Oh, well, yeah, that's
0: true. Thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh, let's see. It is a, my polite way of saying it. It's a sloppy, not great match. <laughs> I want to think that some of this is maybe Mongo being rusty. I, I don't think this is actually like his very first match back. I hope they're not dumb to really book him like that. Give him at least a couple of house shows, I would hope, before you throw on pay-per-view, but who knows with this company? Right, yeah. That's the thing. It's weird because they seem to get these basic spots wrong. And you talked before, Mongo's little thing is, he's not going to do elaborate chain wrestling like we saw in that tag match where he, it's him and Benoit against Jarrett right, technically yeah. and uh, Blinko. They kept him out of the more complicated stuff because he can't do them. So it's like, if the bar is He's not going to do this kind of stuff. He can't do it. And now he can't do that stuff. It's not good.
0: Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, Adams is not particularly amazing himself in the ring. Right. So you've combined this guy that is still fairly new and never gets super good. Right. And who's also just coming back from injury Uh with a guy who also never gets super good in the ring. Right. And I don't think either of them is good at covering when something starts to go wrong.
1: Yeah, it seems like it, yeah.
0: When you're doing one of these moves, I'm sure there's like dozens of little adjustments that you're having to make for, you know, oh, this it feels like I'm slipping or, you know, something like that. So you quickly adjust your grip or things that an experienced wrestler is able to do because he, you know, kind of learns what he needs to do when things start to go a little wrong to prevent them from going really wrong. Right. And understandably, Mongo probably just doesn't know some of that stuff yet because he's still like, what, two years into his career? Right. And then Adams, I don't know how much of that he knows either, necessarily.
1: Oh, no. To be fair, Adams has been wrestling...
0: He's had a longer career. Yeah,
1: he's been wrestling since the early 90s, at least. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just feel like that's where they go wrong, is there's little things that are slip-ups that a different performer might be able to cover right? that they aren't able to cover, so you just see them happen.
1: It's very possible, yeah. like It's not a one-sided thing. It's not like Mongo is 100% bad and Adam deals everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. it's definitely not that but yeah there's this weird just odd timing issues like is it supposed to be a palm thrust that hits mongo when he goes down or is it supposed to be grabbing him for
0: i think it's supposed to be a choke slam but then they just completely disagree on the timing and mongo just falls i, d- I don't know it's it's really weird yeah
1: it reminded me of a recent bit on AEW where this guy's little thing is he grabs a guy he'll do the throat th- th- cut gesture and then it'll slam him like, like a choke slam hmm so these he's got an apron, he's gonna drop him off through a table. So he does his taunt and the guy thinks that's the cue to take the fall. Ooh. But so suddenly he just jumps out of his grip and <laughs> takes the back bump of the table. And the guy's like, uh Horus
0: push. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: he, he he sold the taunt as the bump.
0: Well look, look how tough he is, man.
1: Yeah. Look how tough he is. <laughs> he's so scary you gotta jump away through even through a table to get away. <laughs> but yeah, that's the kind of name we get here. I do love that ref bump for all of the wrong reasons. It's awesome.
0: This series is like gold for ref bumps, isn't it? True, yeah. Just like some of the absolute worst ones of all time. It's
1: it's very true.
0: This had a promising opening, I thought, thanks to Mongo's big personality, but it was all downhill from there. Really awful match. They had one or two good spots, but the rest was either very basic strikes or botches. There were multiple points in this match where I just really couldn't even tell what move they were trying to hit. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, add in the silliest ref bumps this side of Nick Patrick at Hogwild 1996, and this was just plain bad. It's a real shame because they actually did seem like they were having fun in the beginning. Like you were getting some good personality stuff from them. Yeah. But then once things started to go wrong, they just could not recover from it.
1: Right. It's true. Or even just the hilarity of Vincent taking the chair bump. He has a good amount of time to put that down or move it or something
0: yeah
1: it's like he thought well i'm holding the chair and i'm holding the chair i can't see him so i I don't know when to drop it that's why i can hold as long as i want
0: a lot of this match was just completely bizarre yeah completely mistimed or disagreements about moves or just them not knowing how to do something that they apparently planned to do yeah just really really bad
1: flair would return from suspension a few weeks after this To start putting the story where they turn the legit thing where, again, he's suspended by Eric Bischoff into the storyline where him and others, including um, Eddie Guerrero, who gets involved in this as well, start fighting against the boss. So this is basically them doing WWF storyline. Right. Bischoff is Mr. McMahon.
3: Yeah.
1: On one hand, Mongo does get his wish because the four have been to some degree with Malenko and Benoit himself do reform. But they don't exactly lead any big storylines or major matches together. They're basically background people for Flair and Bischoff's feud, which, as we know, goes through to Starrcade. Yeah. As far as Adams goes, he would get the biggest win of his career up to this point on Nitro, where he beat Eddie Guerrero. Although, slight caveat, Eddie Guerrero, as part of the storyline where they're feeding with Eric Bischoff, gets mad about his quote-unquote booking and lays down the ring for Adams to cover him. Okay. Yeah. So you get to beat Eddie Guerrero. So that, that's something. Didn't actually beat Eddie Guerrero. Technically
0: is on your record. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) that's something. Oh boy. Yeah.
0: Tony says they're all going to be jealous of Gene Okerlund and Heenan asks if Okerlund's grown hair. (laughs) No, it turns out that he's surrounded by the American iron horse girls and is seated on a motorcycle He brags about going out with the American Iron Horse president to ride later, and throws back to Tony. Well, that was pointless.
1: Yeah. So do do we, by default, get money from American Iron Horse? We said a name like seven times in the show so far.
0: I I probably should have worked out a contract before the show. Sorry. Yeah. That was an oversight on my part.
1: That's all right. (laughs) Pay us.
0: Our seventh match is Juventud Guerrera versus Chris Jericho for Jericho's WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The referee for this match is Dean Malenko.
1: So Jericho, now fully blown heel, is the face of the Cruiserweight division for quite a while at this point. As mentioned earlier, they would use him to write off Ruby Jr. for knee surgery, and he started this angle where he would take prizes, essentially, from his opponents that he beat. Mm-hmm. He took the rap from Prince Ikea, whatever that's called.
0: Sarong, so I think?
1: Maybe. It, it's something like that.
0: I think I'm so right about that.
1: I'm not commenting on that. Don't <laughs> let, let that die a slow death. No, uh, and famously you would take Hubi's mask in a mask versus title match. Right. He's the worst person in the world, essentially. Okay. They do this prolonged thing where he'll find ways to either not lose matches by technicalities, or the overturn victories. Like, they returned his loss, as I mentioned, to De Malenko after the De Malenko, master Ciclope, went the title. One
0: well, of the biggest pops Di Malenko ever got. That yes. was amazing.
1: Speaking of who into H- 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 Guerrero, as I said, he'd win the number contenders the match to get this title shot against Jericho. Jericho has been really hard to keep in control because he thinks it's a lot of a conspiracy and he's not exactly friendly to referees. So, as Basically, as a test for him and also a test for Malenko to see if he can control himself, they made Malenko the referee for this match.
0: Oh, okay. And from from what I understand, at some point, Dean Malenko had a match against him that was like, characterizes, this is your last chance against him. Correct. And didn't win, so now Jericho's saying, like, Dean doesn't have a chance against me, again; doesn't have another shot.
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: Dean Malenko is out first in referee stripes. Save this show, Dean. <laughs> I know you're not actually wrestling, but save this show. <laughs> Heenan wonders when the last time was that Malenko refereed, and Tanay reveals that it was actually on a recent Thunder episode. I can't really blame Heenan for not watching Thunder. Yeah. As Guerrera enters, Tine also reveals that Malenko actually spent an entire summer working as a ref in Florida about a decade prior, so he's actually more experienced as a ref than your normal guest ref. Okay. Tony hopes he uses absolutely none of that knowledge tonight, that he won't call the match down the middle, and he even agrees with Heenan that Malenko should cheat Jericho out of the title. (laughs) Jericho's WWE theme brings the champ out on the Peacock Edition. Yes. He has a rather fetching kimono with a cherry blossom pattern. It somehow actually kind of works for him. It's not a terrible look.
1: (laughs) No, no. Not that bad.
0: Jericho demands a mic and riles up the crowd by talking about his Honda motorcycle, calling them weekend warriors and telling them to stop revving their engines and calling himself the only true biker there. It's good crowd work, though I did find the ending, you're not real bikers, I'm the real biker, is a little bit flat. I kind of wonder if he had a better insult in mind, but then like got shaken up by the engine revving and just forgot what he was going to say. <laughs>
1: it's very possible, yeah. <laughs> I can see that.
0: Jericho refuses to hand the title to Malenko and sets it down himself. Even though Huvi is the challenger, Heenan says this match may actually be Jericho versus Malenko. Jericho quickly gets annoyed with Malenko enforcing the rules and tells Dino Machino to shut up. The camera follows Guerrero when Jericho punches him through the ropes to the platform. So we miss Jericho shoving Malenko and Malenko throwing him down. When Jericho throws Guerrero to the apron again, Guerrero lands on his feet, throws a bragging Jericho down by the hair, and hits a top rope missile drop kick today notes that Malenko did warn Guerrera after the hair pull, so he's being even-handed here. Yep. Guerrera sends Jericho off the ring platform. Guerrera springboard plancha all the way from the ring to Jericho on the ground. Back in, Guerrera gets two counts with a leg drop and a springboard crossbody, but Jericho catches a crossbody and press slams Guerrera for two, then gets more two counts with a stalling suplex and one-foot pin, and a scoop slam and senton. The commentators debate Malenko's counts. Tony thinks he's favoring Guerrera, but the others think he's being consistent and fair. Heenan claims that the crowd is 40,000 strong. Wow. Which is only about 4.7 times the actual reported crowd size. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, you know it was, Bob? I bet I figured it out. So throughout the show, because of the way they're spaced, you're constantly seeing cars go by, mm-hmm. they're next to the road. So he's counting on everyone driving by as watching the show.
0: I guess, in theory, everyone probably would have glanced as they drove by just to see what was going on, so yeah. maybe you could technically count them as audience members.
1: Yeah. He's with a <laughs> pen, like, he's just scratching it off as they go by.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, Lord knows he would have needed stuff to pay attention to during the last three segments.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Malenko stops a sneaky choke and watches Jericho's holds like a hawk. Jericho lands hard strikes, but keeps getting distracted by the crowd. Still, he's doing damage, and after Guerrera reverses Jericho's suplex, Jericho's up first and beats the crap out of He then comments on football. Whoever is ahead at the end of the game usually wins. Today calls him a master of the obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jericho lion salt, but Guerrera gets the knees up, head scissors Jericho down, and hits a top rope spin wheel kick for two. Tony finally agrees that Malenko's counting fairly. We get an amazing spot. Jericho catches Guerrera sliding through his legs, German suplexes him, but Guerrera lands on his feet and charges, but Jericho turns just in time and powerbombs him. Twice. Mm-hmm. Jericho triangle springboard shoulder blocks Guerrera to the platform. Guerrera flips over a suplex back in, but Jericho clotheslines him for two. Guerrera gets two counts by reversing a powerbomb into a DDT and with the hoovi driver. Jericho's superplex, and both are down for nine, until Guerrera rolls on top for two. Guerrera counters a double underhook powerbomb with a hurricane rana, but Jericho counters that into the lion tamer. Really nice spot there, too. Mm-hmm. Guerrera quickly gets the ropes. Jericho insists that Guerrera gave up, but Balenko just stares him down. Tell me what happened. I don't know, Jericho says. <laughs> Confidence 100% to 0% in, like, a second. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Guerrero lands punches in the corner, and Malenko tries to break it up, but Guerrero accidentally hits him. Malenko turns to shake it off, so Jericho nails Guerrero with the title belt and gets Malenko's attention by slapping him. Malenko gives him a death glare, but does deliver a count for two. Jericho cannot believe it. He strikes Guerrero repeatedly and drags him to the corner, climbing, but Guerrero fights back. Malenko drags Guerrero off of Jericho. But Jericho kicks Malenko as Guerrera charges, and Malenko instinctively throws Guerrera overhead to Super Hurricane Jericho for the three count and the win. Huvi collapses, elated but exhausted, and Malenko drags him back to his feet and hands him the title. As Huvi celebrates, Jericho attacks Malenko, but Malenko dodges a clothesline and decks him. Jericho wildly spills out of the ring and off the platform. We finally get a replay of the early match moment when Jericho shoved Malenko and Malenko threw him down. Thoughts on this one? One thing I really liked is that this is a much
1: stronger show with Jericho, I think, than we got last time. This is like peak Jericho, like heel Jericho. Yes. So he 100% has all of the peripheral stuff, uh, like yelling at the referee, like D. Malenko, and all this stuff down pat. He has, you know, the Ask Him, which is this classic Jericho thing. Come on, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the stuff you would hope for in a classic, like, 90s Jericho match is definitely here, so it's nice to see that. is a good partner for him, I think, because Hoovy is small enough that Jericho can do more of the power stuff mm-hmm. to him like his double power bomb. At the same time, he's not too small that he can't realistically fight Jericho. It's like a balance you gotta get. Yeah. Risteria, for instance, especially early on before he was sort of bulking up, like you see on this show, he has to work extra hard to sort of fill in that gap. See why I can beat a guy that's larger than him. Hoovey's a little bigger, I think, so he works.
0: Yeah, I, I think both of them are similar in that they know how to use their small size well, though, as well. Yes. Like, Hoovy, um has a point where he, like, charges at Jericho while Jericho's on the apron, slides under the ropes between Jericho's legs yeah. to get outside and then grab his legs and throw him down onto the apron that way. He uses the fact that he's a smaller guy well. Yeah. Much like, you know, that's something that Rey Mysterio is really excellent mm-hmm. at as well.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky thing to get, because some people can be smaller but still rest like, like a bigger guy and it might yeah, work. yeah yeah. Likewise, you get big guys that can do like lucha spots, even though it looks ridiculous that they're doing like moonsaults and dives. Like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm, yeah, Brian Cage, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> to give this a big example, the stuff with him and Malenko, when they actually get on camera is really good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they've been building this story for months, so these guys have plenty of practice interacting with each other, so that pays off really well. I think the only thing for me is that it's tricky to keep the focus on Guerrero versus Jericho when the stronger story here is Malenko and Jericho. Mm. It's nothing against the match because they have a good match, but it's always a sort of back and forth tug of war kind of situation where do I focus on the idea that who can win this match or do I focus on the fact that Malenko hates Jericho for 100% good reasons? Mm-hmm. I think if maybe there's a little more story with Hoovey, like if they really needed the fact that, you know, he embarrassed who by beating him, taking his mask, might help just bridge that gap a little bit, I think. Okay, yeah. But it's a really good match.
0: Yeah, I felt this match was the match the show needed in this moment. Mm -hmm. After the past three segments that were just awful. Yeah. You needed a good match to bring the show back from the abyss. Yeah. And this match 100% delivered on that. It did feel like Hoovy and Jericho might have been operating maybe at 90% speed at a few points in this, which even the commentators noted, but they still put on a really good match with some really creative spots and big stunts, all of which went off without a hitch. Jericho got to do a surprising amount of power wrestling here, as you noted, because Hoovy's a smaller guy. He could do that side of the uh, performance that he doesn't always get to do. had a few great catches of flying moves and some really cool transitions into holds with Hoovy doing the lion's share, but not all of the impressive acrobatics. I thought both competitors came out of this looking really, really good, and it told a good story of Jericho, aware after an early confrontation that he was on thin ice with Malenko, trying to just wrestle the match, yeah, but getting progressively more stressed out by the crowd and by Malenko's presence until he started making errors, and then in frustration, set up his own fall. Mm -hmm. I like that Malenko, despite his pre-match promo, was actually quite even-handed in the match. He might quibble a bit with some of his counts as Tony did, but they weren't drastically different. So he basically acted as normal ref, just way tougher up until he had to be fully involved in the finish. For me, I actually thought they did just the right amount of Malenko involvement Mm. where it added intrigue to the story. But for me, it never dominated the match versus uh, Jericho Hoofy. I I was able to focus on them and just remember that the ref was Dean Malenko.
1: Like I said, I think my issue is not solely match pacing or match. Balance more so, just that there's really not much story to who he challenged with the title, other than who he's challenged with the title.
0: Yeah, and the commentators do mention that Jericho took his mask, and Jericho obviously makes sure to build that up himself in his uh, internet station promo. Right. But yeah, you could have maybe done a little bit more with that to just make sure that the audience gets both these guys really hate Jericho. Right. You know, it's not just Dean that hates Jericho, it's Hoovy hates Jericho. Yeah. And you do get a sense of that from how he wrestles. He's very aggressive in this match. But yeah, I I will agree, like, I think there's a lot more emphasis in the build-up to this of Malenko versus Jericho than there is of Hoovy versus Jericho. Mm -hmm. Again, do a promo package. Yes. you know, Or a, a video package for this. There's a lot of matches, as we've said tonight, that would benefit from that. And I think this is a major one of them that you would have gotten a little bit stronger emphasis on that side. But I think in terms of the actual match itself, how that goes, I think they did exactly the right balance. Hoovy
1: would go on to defend the title at Fall Brawl against Silver King, despite the match originally being announced as him against Kazayashi.
0: Oh, right, yeah, because Ray doesn't get his number one contender's match uh-huh. until ages later, and yeah. that's right.
1: But yeah, <sighs> y- yeah, you think that Fall Brawl is, is nope. you is would not. think it, yeah. Nope. Okay. As far as Jericho, so this is the end, officially, of the Malenko-Jericho thing. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, Jericho's just lost his title, and that's what they're fighting over. It kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, and, and Malenko lost his last shot to actually get the title off Jericho, so he used Hoovey as his avatar to, exactly. to do it, which, that's that's fair enough. You know, Malenko kind of out-Jericho's Jericho, basically. Right.
1: Well, and there's also an important pivot as well in the story. On the post Road Wild Nitro, Jericho would win the TV title from V oh. Ray okay. as teased earlier.
0: Ah, okay, gotcha.
1: He'd also begin his most infamous, at least to the boys in the back, angle where he would challenge Goldberg to a match.
0: Right.
1: That leads to uh, an angle with him challenging Goldberg at Fall Raw itself. Okay. Which is I believe is pretty good, but very strange. <laughs>
0: <laughs> More Helicopter and Sturgis footage? Heenan claims that once the rally's over, they'll tear Sturgis down and build a swamp. Tony, through laughter, insists that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) I love when Heenan gets Tony.
1: (laughs) Yeah, great.
0: Our eighth match is the NWO Invitational Battle Royale. I keep saying that the way it's actually supposed to be said instead of the way they say it on wrestling shows. Our eighth match is the NWO Invitational Battle Royale. Referees for this one are Mark Curtis and Scott Dickinson.
1: Going back a little ways, the story has seen me going one direction. You have Highwood Hogan had reclaimed the title for Manny Savage in questionable fashion, as talked about in an earlier episode. And he's constantly feuding with DDP, either directly or through the NWO Hollywood faction. That would lead to the match at Bash the Beach, where he's tagging with Death Rodman against DDP and Carmelo. So naturally, your thought process is, okay, we're finally going to get DDP and Hulk Hogan for the title at this show. Yeah. No. Instead, we decided to give the U.S. champion, Goldberg, number of contenders status, which is occasionally is part of being U.S. Right. champion. Yeah. Sort of, kind of, maybe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, hot shotted the title to him. Famously, the Georgia Dome, they sell out the building. They now to the beginning of the show... Stay to watch this match and they get a massive nitro number. Right. But they also give away the biggest match, arguably they ever could have had, except for maybe Sting and Hogan. Which they already had. So
0: You can see it a bunch of different ways. Like they legitimately get a massive, massive rating with it. Yes, they do. Like it's a hugely successful nitro. So th- so that definitely draws a lot of eyes to the company. Right. And if you then carry forward with good stuff from there, that might be worth it. Yeah, arguably. That might be worth sacrificing a a pay-per-view main event. But at the same time, that is a massive, massive pay-per-view main event to sacrifice, right? Like You could have done huge numbers with that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So I think it really depends on on where it goes from there. If you have awesome stuff planned from there and you can seize that audience and carry forward with something great, then that's worth the sacrifice of a great pay-per-view main event. I if that, not, yeah. then you probably should have done as a pay-per-view main event.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, now Goldberg is the SW Heavyweight Champion. And going into this show, they booked a big battle royal between the two factions, the NWO Hollywood and the Wolfpack. It's not explicitly named, but sort of indirectly, the idea is whoever wins this is a top contender for the world title. Okay. Because it's all the arguably all the top guys and a few ancillary people involved mid-card guys all fighting in one big match so while it's not explicitly a number one contenders match it's clearly a number one contenders match but the reason goldberg's in this match is because they didn't book him for a match on this show
0: right yeah which is strange yes so yeah it's it's slightly less weird than if this had been an official number one contenders match i'm glad that it wasn't yeah because that at least you can see okay he can be in this match if it's not not officially for determining the number one contender, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, that's pretty clearly what the purpose of this match would be. Like, we're trying to show who is going to be challenging Goldberg next. Yes, yeah, exactly. To be fair, uh huh. that's kind of what they use like Royal Rumbles for. Right. And the guys that end up fighting tend to be in the Royal Rumble uh huh. in that case, at least before they really did make the Royal Rumble officially for the title shot. Right. But, yeah, it still kind of feels weird that Goldberg is actually in this match.
1: Yeah, early World Rumbles are weird because initially it's just, hey, here's this match we do. And then later ones, like, world champion Hulk Hogan's in there, and it wins it two years in a row, I think. Right,
0: yeah, because it's not for a title shot, yet.
1: Right. So he's the top guy as champion, also the top guy in this match, which is like, why?
0: But you'll you'll use, in those years, you'll use that to set up what the main event of WrestleMania is probably going to be. Right. You'll have hogan actually knocks savage out yeah. ring the one year or correct some controversy between him, him and warrior on another year
1: yeah that's the fir- their first interaction isn't it
0: yeah if him and sid vicious uh knock each other out of the oh yeah true sid vicious throw hogan out and then hogan grabs Sid so that Flair can throw him out on a on that year as well so. hogan throws tugboat out which doesn't actually matter but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry fred All that to say, like, there is a history of using Battle Royals to set up a later main event where you actually have both guys that are going to be in that main event in the match. Right. So this is not completely out of left field. Right, right. But there is kind of a strong implication that this is a NWO versus NWO match match. To determine who's going to be fighting Goldberg, Uh and then we just randomly have Goldberg in the match as well because we didn't plan something different from him.
1: Well, and the other thing as well. So Goldberg and Giant have been having a feud during all this because it's still an NWO wants the title back from him after beating Hogan for it. Right, Hogan's just too busy fighting talk show hosts to focus on that. (laughs) He wants to fight Giant. That's why he enters the match to fight Giant and the other contenders right instead of just having a fight giant
0: yeah why don't you just have him fight giant and then have all the other NWA members in this battle royale yeah to determine okay if giant doesn't get goldberg who do we have fight goldberg next
1: or just wh- whoever wins this challenges who are a champion right right yeah but- yeah. either way ha- have it first or after either way
0: yeah. i think you just you could add some tension to the group by having them all clearly imply that giant's going to lose
1: oh there you go yeah <laughs> i see that yeah, yeah.
0: just kind of tick him off right So in this battle royal, you can eliminate competitors by throwing them over the top rope or by pinfall or submission. NWO theme count, two. Oh, thank goodness all of the NWO Hollywood guys enter together. Mm -hmm. I would not have put it past them to alternate Hollywood and Wolfpack entrances, so each theme got played multiple times. (laughs) Your NWO Hollywood competitors are Scott Hall, one half of the WSW World Tag Team Champions, The Giant, the other half of the WSW World Tag Team Champions, who gets pyro. Yeah. Kurt Hennig, and Scott Flash Norton. Taney tells us that this is the first time that Goldberg has been in a battle royal. Scott Hall grabs a mic. Hey, yo. He takes a survey. Who's here to see NWO Hollywood, NWO Wolfpack, or Goldberg? Hollywood gets booed, Wolfpack gets cheered, and Goldberg gets cheered. About the same as Wolfpack, I'd say. Yeah, Hall claims victory anyway. Giant hilariously chimes in there. He, as usual, just seems down for doing whatever. Right, yeah. NWO Wolfpack theme count, one. Your NWO Wolfpack competitors are... Oh. Big Sexy the Giant Killer, Kevin Nash. He didn't gets himself in trouble by revealing that he talked to Hall, who called himself super sexy earlier in the day. <laughs> this is Sting... I do appreciate that he changed the paint to Wolfpack colors, but this still should never have happened. Agreed. Never, never, never. Sting in the NWO is a is an abomination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the total package, Lex Luger, who actually has a different outfit. Yeah, comes out in, uh, in jeans or something. I think he's very yeah. jeans, yeah, 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 instead of the normal black tights that he wears for an eternity.
1: Yeah. Well, he he didn't want to buy
0: red tights. Yeah, yeah. So it's still mostly black, but still different outfit. Yeah. And Conan. The theme loops, by the way, but I'll still call it one play. That's true. Nash grabs a mic to announce the wolf packs in the house. Conan does his usual catchphrases, too. You see, if everybody has catchphrases to do, they don't have to wrestle for as long. Fair enough. Goldberg makes his entrance. He is stated at 129 wins and zero losses at this point. Penzer, for some reason, also notes that he's undefeated, which is Kind of obvious if he has zero losses. Yeah. <laughs> the pyro shower for his entrance remains awesome and looks even better with the big gold belt. Oh, yeah. It uh, just adds a lot to his end. He's one of those guys. There's certain guys that look right with the title. Mm-hmm. And I think Goldberg looks right with this belt. Agreed. Yeah. The NWO factions brawl amongst themselves. Nash quickly finds and batters Hall. Giant makes the mistake of attacking Goldberg, so Goldberg beats the crap out of him. Anytime another NWO member looks towards Goldberg, the other faction will attack that one from behind. Hall finally stuns Nash and attacks Goldberg, who staggers him with a strike and goes around behind. Nash, a little late, tries to big boot Hall, who dodges, so Nash hits Goldberg. Hall then tries the outsider's edge, but Goldberg backbody drops him out of the ring. That's elimination one.
1: Yeah, telegraph him a mile away. <laughs> yes. He's lifting him before he's even like at the ropes yet.
0: Yes. Nash gets out over the ropes to keep fighting Hall. Elimination two. Goldberg spears Hennig. Tony confuses Conan, being beaten up by Norton, for Goldberg. Sure. (laughs) At least they're both bald. Yeah. Goldberg attacks Giant, and Giant headbutts him and lands strikes and knees. Goldberg chant, and Giant does a Russian leg sweep. Yeah. Hennig takes over on Goldberg and tries to lever him out. Goldberg basically just shrugs him off and walks away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he does, yeah.
0: Norton tries to lever Luger out. Sting goes for the scorpion deathlock on Hennig, but Norton saves. Conan eats a big boot from the giant, and does an awful, awful job of taking Goldberg's spear, falling awkwardly sideways. Oh yeah. Goldberg chucks him out for elimination number three. Hennig tries to throw Goldberg out a few times, but Goldberg fights free. Giant helps Hennig out, but ultimately, Luger attacks Hennig, inadvertently freeing Goldberg. Hennig ends up fighting Goldberg again, but gets speared, better than Conan, but not that great, Mm -hmm. and chucked for elimination four. Sting and Norton fight near the ropes, and Goldberg clotheslines both out, eliminations five and six. Goldberg spears Luger, who not only takes it well, but Luger sells amazingly. He does, yeah. I love you, Luger. (laughs) (laughs) Giant chucks Luger out for elimination seven. So our final two are Goldberg and the Giant. Goldberg walks right into a chokeslam. Nice one, too. Mm -hmm. Goldberg sits up like the Undertaker, and Spears Giant, who sells that quite well. Goldberg muscles Giant up for the jackhammer. He doesn't hold him up as long as usual, but that's understandable. It's an impressive shot, anyway. Oh, yeah. That gets the three count from Curtis for elimination eight, giving Goldberg the win. So, final tally is Goldberg got six eliminations, Giant got one, thanks to Goldberg, and Nash eliminated himself. Yeah, Tony proposes counting each elimination as its own victory for Goldberg's streak. No.
1: (laughs) It's one one match. buddy.
0: The commentators praise Goldberg's game plan for the match. Thoughts on this one?
1: The thing for me with this match is so they did the everyone starts at the same time. We don't have staggered entrances. We don't have, you know, spacing or anything. Yeah. So everyone's just sort of bunched in the spring together. So you get weird stuff like Goldberg is like moving around the ring He's, he's, like, moving around people, which they, they praise him as being, like, clever for finding the corners and such, but he's also mean. he's, like, going around people fighting and not fighting people. It's yeah. a little odd to me. I don't think it's his fault. I think it's, he doesn't know what to do with a, such a confined space.
0: I don't know if Tanae's accurate that this is his first battle royale, but if he is, then it kind of makes sense. Like, that's yeah. it's not an easy match type to get your head around mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do in, especially when you're the focal character in the match all of a sudden. Yeah.
1: I would hope because he was in the power plant, I would hope they would have at least had some form of battle royal. Probably practice. practice ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I would imagine. Yeah, I'd imagine yeah. it's not literally the first time we've ever seen this match, but
1: I would hope not. Yeah. yeah. The problem I have with this match, the way they booked it, is everyone starts at the same time. Even with well, what nine people in the ring as opposed to ten, twenty, or thirty, or you know how you could squeeze into a match, there's still too many people bunch up in one place. Mm-hmm. So, at least, Hall is our idea to do early elimination. Again, if it, even if it's pantomimed a bit too much. And maybe that's because he's working with Goldberg and he's right or wrong, thinks Goldberg may not get the timing right. So, he's being overly cautious. I don't know. Could be another way to look at that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on, too. Yeah. I mean, I can see just, again, Battle Royal, I'm sure it's harder on everybody to get your timing right on spots because right, yeah. there's so much you're, like, you're distracted by everything going on around you. I'm oh, sure.
1: yeah, yeah. The big problem with this match is that because there's not staggering interest, they don't build up one at a time coming in. Is People just get lost in this match. Oh, yeah. Like, Sting is 100% non-factor in this match.
0: Yeah, the only spot where you notice Sting is when he suddenly puts the Scorpion Deathlock yeah. on somebody, and that lasts, I don't know, a second, because it's almost immediately interrupted.
1: Even, and even when he's thrown out of the ring, you see him when he falls out, but you don't see him being pushed out because of, like, the camera placement. Someone's, like, basically next to the massive people that's him and scott norton so you see a big group of people and suddenly he's just out you're like oh sting's out i guess yeah
0: genuinely think of the last time that you could legitimately say sting was in this match and i didn't notice him yeah yeah that that let that alone in you, what
1: red face paint. paint right yes it's amazing the other thing i i get why i get why it was done but maybe, i think they went a little overboard is they go so so hard praising goldberg mm-hmm. like when Hennig is trying to throw him out of the ring at one point, they tease how important it is, the thing, and it gets, like, one foot off the ground. I appreciate that. Yeah. But then when he does the basic thing of just grapefinding his legs, we can't do it again. You would think he, like, cured cancer, or like, invented, uh, yes. like, you know, immortality serum or something. He's the greatest man to ever live, because he grapefind a guy's leg. Yeah. I, and I'm 80% sure it's because Hennig said, grape on my leg his ear, probably
3: Pro- probably yeah yeah
1: now that he doesn't know how to do that but i could 100% he doing that it's not knocking like in goldberg if you work with henning of course take advice from him yeah, yeah absolutely
0: yeah I, I i do see your point on that and also like having him get six of the eliminations six yeah. of the eight eliminations in the match is maybe a tad much like have an NWA member eliminate an NWA member with goldberg not being involved once or twice
1: they're building up to Giant and Goldberg. Have Giant eliminate half the people, and he ends up have people.
0: Yeah, or, or just, or again, like, remember, the Hollywood versus Wolfpack is supposedly your other really important angle in, in this. Yeah. And aside from distracting people until Goldberg gets rid of them, it has no real bearing on this match. Like, no. yes, they're supposedly fighting each other, but nothing of importance happens between the two factions, other than Nash eliminating himself to go after Hall. Yeah. So you got that feud right, kind of, but... Yeah, the rest of it is like I mean, again, even the one person that Giant eliminates, he eliminates because Goldberg speared him moments earlier. Yeah, it's not like Giant does a move to Luger; yeah. he just picks him up and chucks him out after Goldberg has destroyed him.
1: 100 percent of the eliminations are related to Goldberg. Yes, because Nash eliminated himself because Goldberg- because Goldberg eliminated yeah. all. Right. Yeah. yeah, nothing is unrelated to him at all.
0: Yeah, the entire match clearly revolves around Goldberg, which. I don't necessarily disagree with, right. but it's weird when you've spent a year on building this Hollywood versus Wolfpack feud. Yeah. And I remember us talking about this on Stargate 98 as well that the Hollywood versus Wolfpack on Starcade 98 feels almost entirely inconsequential. It does, yeah. I think you're seeing that here as well that it's like they put something that's so overwhelming in this match uh-huh. that everything else pales in comparison to it and you lose everything else that you were working towards. It's all Goldberg, in this match.
1: Yeah, if if they had done some version of the staggered entrance, mm-hmm. World Rumble style, you could have told a proper long story. Have one person of each group start, and Goldberg makes entrance and says, you know, I'm, I am I want to be in this match. So that was three people. He starts with them as well. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be left out of the action. He wants to fight everybody. Right. So as things thing goes on, try and tell the story where their feuding with each other costs them. One of them say ignores Goldberg because they want to beat up Sting, and then they get hit by Goldberg because they're distracted.
0: Beer. Chuck. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Make the story that they hate each other, and they're in this blood feud, and it costs them a title shot because Goldberg can take advantage of that.
0: Right, yeah. That works. I always like the sagard entrances better than regular battle royals, yes. but... This especially is one that feels like it should have been done that. You could even have done the coin flip. Let's see who comes first. Sure. Like Goldberg's in there first and two of the faction members. Yeah. And then you do a coin flip to see which faction gets their guy to come out first. Yeah.
1: Split the Royal Rumble rules with the workings rules. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: That always gives this type of thing a better flow. If you can change the situation naturally by having a new person introduced. Yeah, But the fact that they go for this huge mass of people in there just makes this confusing to watch. And like right. you said, people get lost in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, people that you don't expect to get lost in matches get lost in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think this is a pretty basic battle royal. The faction warfare just doesn't add that much to it, which is surprising. Yeah. You know, it's just brawling around. There's no real interesting spots to it. Goldberg's strategy of just hanging back as much as he could and chiming in with well-timed spears for the most part... Did give it a followable story, at least. Right. The fact that he is a focal character and it does give you someone to pay attention to, which I did appreciate. Yeah. But this does seem like a real missed opportunity to actually build someone up to face him as the world champ. Instead, Goldberg just demolishes two factions by himself. Yeah. Like we said, even Giant's elimination of Luger is because Goldberg spears Luger. Speaking of the spear, many of these guys are terrible at taking it. Yeah. Who do you think took it best, Al? I, I'm thinking Luger. Yeah, is out giant so. but
1: Conan takes it like high on his hips which is unpleasant it's
0: the most awkward selling yeah. of the spear I have ever seen in my life Mickey J took a spear better than Conan he
1: did yes yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think Luger's the best one to me you agree? yeah I agree yeah yeah some of it
1: I think might be just because Goldberg is like trying to do like sudden like two-step full
0: speed right burst. he doesn't have as much room to run up because yeah. of all the guys in the ring yeah. too yeah so it's again a fault of the match if that's yeah. really what it is yeah I think Giant gets pretty close to Lugery, does a good yeah. sell of it.
3: Sure, yeah. When
0: he takes it, it's just two guys in the ring now, so... Exactly. They have a little bit more room to work, which is good, because if you're a spearing Giant, you need more room to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would call this actively bad, but it definitely drains the momentum of the show that it had regained with the last match. Yeah. And that's a problem.
1: Right. I mean, we sacrificed five, six Bible tenders for the title in the yeah. one match.
0: Yeah, I don't think that Nash gets sacrificed because he eliminates right. himself. And Giant does well enough for himself yeah. that I think you can still say he's okay. Mm-hmm. But the remaining guys just get killed.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, born in the sense that I don't think Skyler was never going to pick yeah. through talent Goldberg. but yeah, yeah, probably not. No. Yeah, so this isn't a bad match. It's just, it's a very cluttered match that's booked really oddly. Especially for long-term. Processes. It's
0: just generic. And it shouldn't be generic because you have a really hot performer in Goldberg in it. Yeah. And then you have your hot NWO warfare angle in it. Uh-huh. And somehow both of those things lead to a very generic, boring battle royale that is just like the same thing that you see anytime you have this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's disappointing about it. It's like it's not that this is a bad battle royale. It's just a standard one. Yeah. And it shouldn't be a standard one.
1: Yeah, it's got Sting, it's got Nash, it's got Hall, all these names in it. And it's just very forgettable. Yeah. It's both inconsequential short-term, but very consequential long-term for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Since he, you know, just beat almost all of the other top contenders, Goldberg would not defend his title at Fall Brawl. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. Instead, the contenders are entered into the worst War Games match in history at Fall Brawl 98. Oh, gal. Yeah, that match is a term number contender, so, uh, yay. Oh,
0: man. Okay.
1: Hall and the Giant would not actually defend their titles on pay-per-view until October, because they're involved in nonsense, and I guess tactiles aren't that important anymore. Yeah. Here's a little fun fact for you. There is one more title change that happens on the post-World Wild Nitro. U.S. champion Bret Hart, who's also not booked on the show for some reason, loses his title to Lex Luger. Oh, okay. And wins it back on Thunder.
0: <sighs> yep. For crap's sake, guys. <laughs> yep. At least it wasn't on house shows this time, but yeah, still. yeah.
1: Luger is famous for his like super lengthy U.S. title reign early career before he leaves for WWF. Right. It's like five hundred days, I think, some crazy number, even split up between when he briefly loses it to Stan Hansen, I believe, mm-hmm. and then wins it back. But here he is winning on Nitro, losing it on Thunder for his final time on the belt.
0: Wow. Our final match is. Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff with Elizabeth and the Disciple versus Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno? Yep. <laughs> with Kevin Eubanks. Referee for this one is Nick Patrick.
1: Hulk Hogan would be involved in a prolonged feud with DDP where he tag against him at Bash at the Beach with Death Rodman against Carl Malone. And the feud would keep going through that. Along the way, Bret Hart, who never actually joins NWO, which is probably why he's not in the Battle Royal. He's a friend, but he never actually wears the outfit. He's the
0: NWO-adjacent guy, yeah.
1: Correct, yeah. He actually takes advantage of a beaten DDP from NWO attack, including Hogan, to win the title off of him.
0: Oh, okay. So... To trace the lineage real quick, so Goldberg is the U.S. champ going into his match with Hogan, where he wins the world title. Correct. He has to surrender the U.S. title then?
1: He, yeah, it's not clear if he has to, but he does. Yeah. He doesn't want to hold both belts, yeah. Okay.
0: And then DDP at some point wins the title. Correct. And then Hart wins it off of DDP, and then Luger wins it off of Hart, and then Hart wins it off of Luger. Correct. <laughs> okay. All right. Good that we cleared that up. Yes.
1: I, I, can, I can see the confusion there, yeah. With titles out of the way... We get the feud where Hogan decides to take offense at Jay Leno making fun of him once or twice in his show. So this leads to prolonged segments on Nitro where they build a fake Tonight Show set and the weird area by like the entrance ramp because they couldn't put in the ring for some reason. I don't get this at all. Okay. So you can't even look at it correctly because it's in the corner. Yeah, the idea is that Eric Bischoff is going to prove he's better than Jay Leno by making his own Tonight Show, which... I guess it's going to replace it somehow, like he's going to get a contract. It's not clear what his his long-term goal is here, but he doesn't like him.
0: This is called NWO Nightcap, I believe.
1: It is, indeed. It puts you to sleep, so there's that. (laughs) The name is very apt. (laughs) Oh, boy. But yeah, so after um, Hogan initially towns and then make fun of him, Jay Leno has a little person dressed as Hogan, the classic mock-your-enemy thing, just still going strong occasionally once in a while. Even far like, 2018, they were still doing that. I don't get it. So then Hogan would go on the show. He'd actually briefly take over the show. Like, like one segment, him and Bischoff would, like, take over the show and, like, try to do their own monologue. <laughs> before security would kick them out. So it was a great bit where DP shows up because, obviously, him and Hogan are feuding. He's trying to psych Leno up for the match. And I was like, you know, like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not a wrestler. You're a wrestler. He's a big guy. And he's he's Hulk Hogan. He's famous for wrestling. And here's me. I'm the guy that does Night Show. DDP, he's trying to psych him up. And he goes, hey, you remember the match with Malone? You know Trey Malone, right? There's about 10 seconds of awkward silence. (laughs) Because clearly he thinks Leno's going to go, oh, you. Or be like really sure that he knows this. Leno either forgot, which is possible, or had no idea any of that stuff happened. Which is more likely.
0: More likely, yeah.
1: Yeah. DDP's got to go, me, I trained him. (laughs) Now DDP is training Leno for this tag match, which they act like somehow this Tonight show rights are at stake, but I don't think it's actually true.
0: Maybe they assume they'll embarrass Leno so much here or just injure him, and then they'll need you know a new host and Eric can get it.
1: Fair enough. Yeah.
0: Not sure that's how they make choices about Tonight Show hosts, frankly. I yeah. don't think Jimmy Fallon had to beat up a bunch of guys to win his Tonight Show hosting yeah. that he's currently I, doing.
1: I don't recall a tag match with Leno and another wrestler against Letterman and another wrestler and- Letterman get beat up so badly, he doesn't get this night show. Right, yeah. I don't think it's how it went. Maybe
0: that's what was going on backstage during it, but I I don't know. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Michael Buffer does our ring introductions. There's no attempt at a biker outfit by Buffer this year.
3: (laughs) Oh.
0: NWO theme count, three. Thankfully, the motorcycle revving nearly drowses it out. (laughs) Heenan says, if something happens to Leno, he's available to host the tonight show. So, he's throwing his hat in the ring, too, I guess. Yeah,
1: I would watch that.
0: Honestly, that sounds pretty fun. Right? Yeah. Buffer dubs Disciple the Dangerous Disciple. He is pretty dangerous, to the show's entertainment value. Yes. Tonight's show theme count, one. (laughs) Leno, Eubanks, and Paige enter, as Buffer credits Paige with training Leno and Eubanks, and mentions that he trained Carl Malone, too, just in case Leno's forgotten. Yes. Leno's jacket does look pretty tough. The water cup and bright blue Tonight Show t-shirt, not so much. No. Hogan brags to Bischoff about how he's going to beat up the Tonight Show team, but Leno interrupts that by throwing his drink on Hogan. Getting drink-throwing out of the way before the batch this year, I see. (laughs) Hogan makes Penzer give up his chair. Disciple takes it, but hands it off to someone. Looked like maybe Penzer himself, later.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: I should clarify at this point for folks, Kevin Eubanks is Leno's bandleader, I believe, Correct. on the show. Yeah, uh-huh. He is indeed. Leno challenges Hogan and Bischoff to sock him on the chin. Jeez, they'd break their fists on that thing. Yeah. Paige and Hogan start as Taney notes the muscle on Kevin Eubanks. And yes, I agree, he is super buff. He is, yeah. Hogan uses the hair and slaps Paige, but Paige slaps him, and Paige and Leno pinball Hogan with strikes. Page hits a swinging neckbreaker. He then claims he was going for the diamond cutter, but it's not like Hogan blocked. What did he no. think that Page just decided, nah, I'll do that later? Yeah, yeah. Hogan rolls out to recover, and Page grabs him, then yells to Patrick. Patrick talks to Page, and Eubanks shoves Hogan into the ring post and rolls him in. Page rolls Hogan up for two when he yells at Eubanks. Hogan tells Disciple to shine Eubanks's bald head. <laughs> Pot and kettle, man. Yeah, right? Hogan beats Page up in the NWO corner and tags Bischoff for some rather nice kicks. Page tags Leno. Bischoff freaks out and tags Hogan, but Leno dodges a couple lunges, makes fun of Hogan's baldness, and tags Page. Hogan rakes Page's eyes, but Page fights back and puts on an arm bar, then tags Leno. Leno does a basic arm twist, but Hogan powers free, knee strikes him, and chokes him until Patrick forces a break. Leno and Paige trade off doing basic arm work, then a double clothesline. Paige makes contact, Leno does not.
1: Yeah, at, at best, Leno is holding uh, DP's arm when DP closes. Giving
0: him moral support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Squeezing it, I got you, buddy. It gets to. Hogan flees outside. Paige follows, and Eubanks stops Hogan from using a chair, then blocks a punch with the chair. He uh, does better than Vincent earlier for that. Yes.
1: Yeah, he had, like... Sort of pushes it forward, I think, I think it's the idea. Yeah, he
0: doesn't take the hit himself yeah, in the process, like, yeah.
1: He looks like, pushes it forward a couple inches, so Hogan punches the chair and he's not in his face, yeah.
0: Back in, Bischoff kicks Paige from outside, so Paige decks him off the apron. I do give credit to Bischoff there, he really was up for that fall. He was, yeah. Hogan opportunistically attacks. Hogan nails Paige with a corner clothesline, and Paige flips over in the corner onto the ropes and onto the mat. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Super sold that one. Tagged to Bischoff for nice kicks and average punches, but he gets overconfident, and Page beats the crap out of him. (laughs) But Hogan hits Page with brass knuckles while Disciple distracts Patrick for two for Bischoff. Hogan in, and he spits at Leno to draw him in to distract Patrick, so the NWO can double team Page in their corner. Hogan sucks, someone yells. So's your mother, Hogan yells back. (laughs) (laughs) Page gets his spinning lariat, and both guys are down for seven. Tagged to Bischoff and tag to Leno. Bischoff begs for mercy, but pokes Leno in the eyes, bragging that Leno will be the queen of comedy when he's done with him. Leno slugs him in the balls, while Patrick is checking on Paige, and does the weirdest charging punches that I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) Yeah, Bischoff sounds like he was hit by Meng.
1: (laughs) Yes, he does.
0: (laughs) Leno rams Bischoff to the turnbuckles a few times. Heenan says he should fight Goldberg next. I cannot imagine that that would end very well. No. Hogan sneaks in, and Patrick clearly sees, then goes looking for a disciple who's supposed to be distracting him.
1: <laughs> He's dangerous, man. You gotta know where he is at all times. It's like a nuclear bomb. You gotta lose track of that thing, man.
0: Bischoff holds Leto, but Leto dodges, and Hogan mistakenly punches Bischoff. Page clotheslines Hogan and himself out of the ring. And Eubanks gets in and delivers a respectable diamond cutter to Bischoff. Earning Leno the three count and the win. Tonight Show theme count, two. (laughs) Page and Eubanks help Leno up and celebrate with him. The commentators praise Leno's quickness, strikes, and guts. Suddenly, Hogan attacks, knocking Leno and Eubanks down and kicking Eubanks out of the ring. Bischoff and the Disciple beat up Page while Hogan beats Leno up. The crowd chants for Goldberg. And indeed, he appears, double-spearing Hogan and Bischoff. That looked a little awkward. Yeah. The NWO retreat, and Goldberg poses along with Team Tonight Show. Feel the bang, DDP yells. Next, Goldberg yells. (laughs) I feel like Goldberg suddenly realized the camera was on him and couldn't think what to say. Yeah. Tonight Show theme count, three. Yeah. Heenan kind of backhanded compliments Leto. Noting that he didn't know what he was doing in there, but he showed his guts. (laughs) Yeah. He does at least soften it by noting that nobody knows what they're doing in the ring until they've got more time under their belts. Right, right, yeah. Thoughts on this one?
1: Oh, boy. I thought it was a good showing for DDP. Okay. Yeah. To break it down simply, this whole match is built around him. He's the center of this thing, keeps it all working.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: He does all the key action spots. Him and Hogan, anytime when he's not in there, it's built as, oh no, DDP's not here. Now Leno's in trouble because he didn't have them. around. Yeah. It's kind of a shame that he didn't get to do the diamond cutter himself and anybody, though. Mm-hmm. At all in this match. I guess they couldn't have him do it to Hogan or Disciple
0: and then do the post-match beatdown so quickly, maybe? Right, know. yeah. That would have lowered the diamond cutter if DDP does it. Yeah. And then they recover to be able to beat him down later. Right. That hurts the diamond cutter. Where if Eubanks does it, you could say, oh, it wasn't performed by the master of it. So right. it's okay if they recover.
1: But it's kind of disappointing that the idea, this is like a big cross-emotional thing. All these people that would never watch wrestling might watch this. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get to do his big signature thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, Hogan tries to do a leg drop and misses, but, you know, he's the heel. You kind of expect that. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, if you think about it, all the big stars, it's not the one we talked about, got overshadowed in the Battle Royal. Goldberg gets his big spear and his jackhammer on giant. Right. But D.P. doesn't get to this big moment. That's sad for him. Yeah, yeah. Bischoff is fine. Bischoff doesn't really get involved much in the match, any major way, unless it's important. Right. He's always trying to do his heel stuff in the corner. He, there's never a point where you catch him just sort of standing there. He's always on.
0: He's always doing something in the corner. I appreciate that. He has,
1: yeah. yeah, He he he's a TV presence, like, awareness. Mm-hmm. Good. Hogan, to be fair, and obviously I'm not a Hogan fan, as if anyone has not picked that up by now, but... He does all his usual 80s sort of carny stuff quite well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does eye poking a lot. By the way, there's way more eye poking than I'm used to in a match. Patrick's like, stay off the eye. But then they do it like three more times and there's no repercussions. <laughs> you literally you all talk, Patrick. What are you doing? <laughs> the only thing I think he kind of gets weird is that he does his fake breath nuck spot where he just wraps a bunch of plastic on his hand. Yeah. And they do the T like, he's gonna beat DDP with that. He punches them, you know, Bishop covers. But then he, he like, sneaks it in later. Like, he casually, brass knuck punches DDP in the corner. Like, um, what? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Like, he instinctually did that, and realized it's supposed to be a knockout shot, right? <laughs> so, Leno. Leno's a hard one to grade, because, so, obviously...
0: This is not a trained wrestler. No, yeah. no, no, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's Jay Leno.
0: And it's not an athlete, either. No,
1: no. Not a Rodman or Malone situation. Or even um, going back to Mongo, or um, I played blank on who he wrestled. Reggie White. Thank you. Yeah, Reggie White, okay. Yeah, so it's not one of those situations where they have all the athletics, and then you just got to teach them the basic stuff to do. Right. Obviously, Dudding on a massive curve, I think he does okay. There's a funny bit where he tags out, and DP tags back in like 30 seconds later, he's like, what? Oh. Like I'm not sure he actually if he's just playing that up, or he did. I feel sure.
0: like that was him doing a, doing the part. Yeah.
1: Okay, I, I'm yeah. not sure yet. I could see either way, but yeah, I wasn't sure in on that one. He's like, well, again, okay.
0: I think Leno has enough personality to make this work. Like Bischoff, he's a good TV personality. He doesn't have the wrestling awareness, so he's not doing as much on the ringside as Bischoff. is. Yeah. But you catch him like leading the crowd in a chant at yeah, one point, and you know high fiving Eubanks after the post bid and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like he's good enough at understanding i need to be doing things
1: well there's still only two aspects that aren't great mm-hmm. uh, one to a certain degree is when he gets his only real bit of prolonged offense when it's him beating a bishop off around the corner you can see he gassed himself really quickly yeah which yeah. ha- happens to a lot of people if i wrestle i'd do it too so i'm not judging from like a high moral standard or something right it's obviously gassed himself
0: and again this is not an athlete no no no
1: yeah so yeah. it's, it's I, it has yeah. become
0: pretty obvious that he's he's tired out at that yeah.
1: one I mean, he did martial arts with Pat Marita in Collision Course, but that was, you know, 10 years ago. Poor Pat Morita's like, hey, you know, I was available. We could have booked me to be a corner, man.
0: <laughs> he was gonna, but then he saw the guns on Oh, like, Oh, you got, you, no, got no, it. you got it.
1: Yeah. But obviously we have to address the most famous part of this match, which is Jay Leno using an arm ringer on Hogan. Yes. As you stated when we watched it, he doesn't initiate the first one. Right. He goes in and grabs hold. Hogan does sell his arm ringer, like, his arm's about to fall off the socket. That is true. So it's, it's, it's a trade-off, though, because he does his ridiculous, carny nonsense really well as a heel, and it works in a lot of ways in this match, but then he, he super sells that one, bit. you're like, oh, come on.
0: Yeah. To their credit, he does... Sell it too much, I think, but he also breaks it really fast. He does. He he gets out of the hold really, really fast.
1: Yeah, he had to put it in a second time, but that's pretty quick as well.
0: Right. Yeah. So I think he sells the hold too much, but he also is held in it for a realistic amount of time. I
1: yeah. Think. No, that's true. It's not a prolonged spot. That's fair. Right. Yeah. I think it's him being aware that this could be on like Entertainment Weekly or you know, right. some trade magazine. He
0: went. I got to give them a photograph they actually want to use. Me screaming in pain when Leno's holding my. Arm will get a lot more attention than be going, What are you doing to me when Leno's holding my arm?
1: Incidentally, uh, as part of my research, I did look. Someone has nicely cataloged all the ATM Weekly covers by year. Yeah. I didn't think it would exist, but someone did that. <laughs> and this did not make a cover. Aw. Uh, last thing I mentioned quickly is that the bit in the inning where they're celebrating, I think it's kind of funny because it's Goldberg on one side with Dale in his arm and DP on the other. I feel like it looks like they're jostling for camera time. But they keep they keep moving around and spinning around. Like They see the cameras. Goldberg turns one way, so he's holding his hand deep. He's not in it.
0: <laughs> Everyone wants the shot with Leno.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they both eventually get one, but it feels like they're fighting for, for time. Might
0: be, yeah. This was not as bad as I'd feared. Mm-hmm. It helped that the vast majority of the match, the face side of the match, was Paige, as you pointed out. Yeah. Leno was a weird choice for a celebrity in a wrestling match. You know, as we said, normally they get sports stars who look physically intimidating and believable in a fight. Leno is actually a fairly tall guy. Yeah. But he's nowhere near as great a shape as a wrestler. Yeah. That said, they didn't treat him like he was. Aside from the one point where Hogan does sell his move, he really only manages a couple basic leverage holds on Hogan, nothing strength-based. Mm-hmm. And one of those even is set up by Paige. Yeah. Hogan pretty easily fights free of his holds, as I said. Leno gets to do a little bit more against Bischoff, but Bischoff, despite his karate experience, is rarely treated as a tough opponent by WCW. And even then, it's not like Leno dominates through sheer skill or might. He slugs the guy in the balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As for the rest of the match, it's a pretty basic tag format, but perfectly well plotted. Aside from Leno taking too long taunting sometimes, the match didn't really have much in the way of slow points. We got a few complexities with the heelish cheating and a fun ending with Eubanks' diamond cutter. Between that and his muscles, I really wanted to see Eubanks in there more. Switch him in and have Leno as the manager, and that might actually be a better fit. Yeah. But um, I agree with you. I think this is actually quite a nice showcase for Paige, aside from him not getting to hit the diamond cutter himself. He gets to really spend a lot of time in there against Hogan, which is good exposure for him. Yeah. And to look good at various points in the match.
1: Yeah. It's again a good consolation prize for not getting to fight Hogan for the title, which seems like they're building it up to forever.
0: Yeah, he he at least gets really, really big highlights throughout nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. And this is this is a nice highlight for him in all honesty.
1: Yeah, he's like the guest tag guy for a while.
0: Right, yeah. This could have been an absolute disaster. Mm. Instead it was just maybe slightly a little bit bad. Yeah. But not really. So kudos on that I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It's one of those things where I think maybe if, if Ego was involved, it could have been really bad. Like If Leno was like convinced he was a great athlete and performer, which thankfully he wasn't like that. No. I could see so in that position going, I could do this, I can do this, this, and this, and trying to take over the situation. Thankfully, that's not—you
0: don't get No, I, I appreciate how they used Leno. If you were making the weird decision to put Jay Leno in a wrestling match in the first place, I think they actually used him pretty much right. Yeah. They did not have him as physically intimidating— Bischoff sells being afraid of him, but Bischoff's also luring him into a cheap shot at that moment. Right, right. Uh, Leno himself looks frightened of the guys, and like you said, gives DDP that weight again look yeah. when he tags him back in the one time. So I feel like they actually do use him quite well. Mm-hmm. It's just weird that they're using Leno.
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's one spot I can't believe they didn't do have, you know, DDP knocks on Hogan briefly, he tags Leno in, and he body slams Leno onto Hogan or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah, that, something like that could be fun.
1: Like, and he, he could play up, like, being scared that like he thinks the most you know, DDP turning on him and then he's like, oh, he just, did okay. Yeah. That could be fun.
0: Yeah, but, but I think he does a well enough job for himself in here. It surprised me a little. I honestly expected this to be just an absolute awful, just pile of garbage, and it was not.
1: It's thankfully, for the most part, a DDP versus Hogan match. With occasional bits of them in it, right, rather than exactly. in a full-on tag match.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Shockingly, Leno would not use this win to catapult himself in the world title match against Goldberg, oh. as teased by Heenan.
0: <laughs> there is a part of me that is curious if Leno would take the Goldberg spear better than the multiple people in the NWO Invitational, though.
1: Yeah, maybe. He might. That's that very possible. Uh, instead, he would go on to host his talk show for the next 11 years. And then the next four when that whole thing with Conan happened. We'll leave the story of the drama about the Tonight Show to our Let's Go to Our Next Guest podcast. <laughs> Coming soon. Not really. Hogan would go on to join the Terrible War Games match to challenge Goldberg. He'd, of course, faced the ultimate competition in that match.
0: Oh, God. <laughs>
1: I... So I would have a little fun with this concept, because we only get one show where we get a talk show host tagging on this series, or any series, thankfully. <laughs> I know, darn. So I thought, what if this same kind of match had happened at different points in history, but around the night show? Okay. So I have a few possible alternatives. The very first time this could happen would have been under Johnny Carson.
0: Okay. It would
1: have been Johnny Carson and Pedro Morales, at that point the WWF champion, Okay. against... His top contender at that point around 72, 73, which is Dan Stasiak. Okay. The dad of uh, Sean Stasiak, we see gotcha, on video. Gotcha, gotcha. And his tag partner, the Grand Wizard, his manager. <laughs> so the classic wrestler manager tag match. Right. Basically, what we have in this one.
0: Just as an aside, the Grand Wizard character was reportedly named in mockery of the KKK's leaders, not in honor of them. Jumping
1: past this now. To the brief period of time when again Conan got to host the night show, we would have Conan, and you can probably guess it's 2009. Who do you think is Conan's tag partner?
0: Obviously, we're in WWF at yes. that point. Yeah. Uh, John Cena.
1: Of course. Yeah. Conan O'Brien and John Cena against Sheamus. Okay. Will really are pulling up the pale Irish connection going on?
3: Yep.
0: There. Yep.
1: And John Laurinaitis, again, evil authority figure. Gotcha. Bishop.
0: Gotcha. Yep. And it's a shame I can't see that match.
1: I know. I have one more for you. Don't worry. I have, what if this match happened now? And thank God it didn't. We have current host, Jimmy Fallon. Gotcha. Tagging with Drew McIntyre, basically the John Cena role at this point. Gotcha. Against Paul Heyman, again, filling the Cowardly Manager tag role. And the big dog, Roman Reigns, the Tribal Chief. Okay. Which currently right now, Drew and Roman are fighting, so that would make sense. I can
0: see all of those potentially of happening at some point in time, yeah.
1: I did not spend enough research time to to build a Steve Allen tag match. I'm sorry. (laughs) I know people were really hoping for that, but I didn't go that far.
0: Back to the commentators. And Tony builds up fall brawl and the Steiner versus Steiner match, which will hopefully happen this time. Kind of. Today calls Bagwell Marcus Buff Bagwell, which I don't think I've ever heard.
1: (laughs) It's been a while. Yeah.
0: Tony says the memory of the night will be Leno covering Bischoff after the Eubanks diamond cutter. He's not wrong. Yeah. Heenan, with his hat on, says you have to take your hat off to Leno for his courage. He does not remove his hat. Well, he did earlier. Tony builds up Fall Brawl again, and we get more helicopter footage, and they just kind of keep talking, as clearly the Fall Brawl advertisement is not ready yet. (laughs) So Heenan challenges Mr. Rogers to a fight. (laughs)
1: Sure, why not?
0: Tony finally throws to a Fall Brawl commercial. In a perfect world, there would be
3: no conflict. There would be peace. But in our world, nobody gets along. It's an all-out war. And the only way to
2: settle it is in the confines of a steel cage. No surrender, no escape. It's WCW NWO Fall Brawl War Games. Sunday, September 13th, live and only on pay-per-view. Call your cable or satellite company to order now.
0: And Road Wild 1998 is done. Oh, right. <laughs> so, overall thoughts on Road Wild 1998.
1: Ah, so, positives. They finally got a set that looks like a Road Wild pay-per-view. Yes. They formally made this whole thing work, I think.
0: Only took three years.
1: Yes, that's true. I guess they had to start over again after the whole Hogwild situation. They'll maybe get a little leeway with that. No. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I tried. Sorry, guys. I tried one, one time to help you out. One of a thousand or whatever it is at this point. Match quality, I mean, it's definitely up and down.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, okay, so Mega Barbarian is not a great match, but it's decent. Nothing really goes wrong or anything for the most part. No, or botches. It's a little miscue here and there, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Well, I love Public Enemy. Somewhat ironically at this point, the more I watch their matches, <laughs> I'm being honest. I just love their energy, I guess. I'm like John, that's why I pick somebody and I'm picking
0: I'll give them credit. They have had some decent matches in in this. Yeah. Just this was not one of them. No.
1: The whole thing was put together horribly. Yeah. It just it didn't benefit anybody in the situation. Third match is definitely better. They had a plan and they executed quite well, I thought. A little overbooked, but it's WCW overbooking is at this point regular booking, really. Ray and Psychosis was good, I thought. Like a lot of matches, they really need a promo or video package or story to for the audience here, like in re- in the uh, right about yeah. the arena, but I guess street to gauge how important it is. Chavo's TV Ray was terrible, moving on. Mongo and Adam was not great, moving on.
0: <laughs> I, Steiner versus Steiner was not.
1: It didn't happen, so <laughs> yeah. moving on, yes. Thankfully Hoofy and Jericho did a really good job. It's a little overbooked, but at the same time, it's a good story there, so I can't complain about it them using the story there. It's just, right. there's a lot going on, just in general. Uh, the royal as discussed at length, uh, is a miscue on so many levels. And the fact that Sting didn't matter on the show at all is sad. Mm-hmm. Same with Luger and Nash and even Hall, really. Hall's out in like a minute and a half in the match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and main event, I would say if you've only ever heard of it, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. At the same time, it's not a match that's going to sway you to think, oh, we should do more of these. No, no. Purely as a one-off, the company made the best I think they could of it. They used Leno for the most part the right way. DP and company really make the rest of the match work together. And more importantly, they got to the right ending. and They're at the right moments in there. Yeah even Fleno leno cradled so much that he actually pulled he, <laughs> he just told her off the mat he did yeah he did. yeah he did that was a lot of people that like the first yeah. time pinning, they're, they're trained to cradle the neck and they pull too hard yeah uh overall it's a good looking show again the set looks nice they have a good feel to it with the biker is unique i wish they had good matches to fill the show out and they didn't bane switch one of the most important matches at least to the fans on the show right
0: yep Yeah, this, for me, was not so much third times the charm as third times the harm. Ooh, I get it. For its third year at Sturgis, WSW finally got the set right, as you noted, Mm -hmm. but not a heck of a lot else. Yeah. There were some decent moments on this show, but it just has such a stumbling performance. Like you said, moderately decent first match, but then the second's a confusing mess. It kind of recovers with the third if you're not bored of hardcore brawling after the second became the same match type the third started as. That's fair. The fourth is not as good as expected, but not bad. Then the show dives headlong off a cliff for an extended period of time. Jericho versus Hoovy finally woke me up, but the NW Invitational killed that momentum and the main event was just strange. Promos were similar to the matches. There's a few decent bits like Malenko and Jericho on the internet table, but then there's Chavo's strange contract bit, the Steiner match cancellation, somewhat underwhelming uh, Jericho actual in-ring promo. Mm-hmm. There's just not that much to compliment on this show. Most of the stuff that can be fun has significant caveats, and there's just so much garbage to go through to get to it that's just not worth it. Commentary is one of the few bright spots. Though they get stuck shilling some of the weirder concepts that WSW had, they managed to have a pretty good chemistry throughout, with some funny exchanges in particular between Tony and Heenan.
1: They're always a delight, yeah.
0: They lose something by having to sell Leno's final match performance as absolutely amazing. Uh huh. And they have a few confusing comments here and there, but they're less tarnished than most of the rest of the show anyway. Mm -hmm. As for the rest of production, as I mentioned, I like the set. The Sturgis atmosphere drew some nice interaction from the performers as well, but the third year in, this is definitely wearing thin. And I find some of the things that seemed unique the first year getting irritating now. Yeah, You can only hear bikes rev so many times before it gets tiresome, and if I never see another shaky helicopter shot of a wrestling ring, it'll be too soon. (laughs) I'm sure we'll have some next year joy. Yeah. We also took a disappointing step backwards in graphics. We still had the license plates for the wrestler intros, Uh but they're all the same this year. Yeah. They weren't personalized like last year. I was really sad to see that. That's true. This one was quite a struggle to get through, I found. Mm -hmm. About all I can really say that's good is that it had less repetition than prior years, but what replaced the repetition was not any good most of the time. So I'm not really sure that that's a compliment. I can't really say anything on the show was worth tracking down in particular. Hmm. Even the matches I'm going to name for Match of the Night contenders in a few moments were good for this show. Not notable enough to actually go out of your way to watch. Yeah. Last year, I thought if you watched the show in a vacuum, you might have enjoyed it more. This year, I can't imagine if that would help at all. Yeah. The series is headed downhill fast with no breaks.
1: You had know, real to realize opportunity I just thought about this. The first two shows... We had at least one person per show, like a quota, ride their bike or at least push the bike down yep. towards the ring.
0: Yeah, we have a ramp that looks like an actual yeah, yeah, yeah. road this time, and, and, and no going, one yeah. does that.
1: Yeah, they finally build a road ramp to the ring, and no one drives it.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least like Okerlund sits on a bike on the ramp, but that's it.
1: Yeah. Why isn't it at least Rick Steiner drive a bike to the ring? Yeah. You were one last year, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very strange.
1: I get why Scott doesn't, obviously, but yeah, why doesn't Rick do it? Especially as like a, a show of force, like look... I'm still me, and you're this weirdo.
0: Maybe Scott told everyone I will be riding a wheeled conveyance to the ring. Ah, and he meant the uh, stretcher, but they all thought he was riding a bike, so they said, "Oh, okay, we'll let Scott do that."
1: Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah,
0: definitely not good. Right? No, it's not. not no. Yeah. All right, match of the night and MVP then. So Al, what is your match of the night?
1: All right, so not a lot of great choices, unfortunately. The Canyon Raven Saturn match I enjoyed. I thought it always kept things going.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And
1: again, as a lot of Raven stuff is overbooked at the end, the flock stuff doesn't always make sense because their timing is weird and when they choose to interfere. I thought they got to the right point, though. I really liked Ray and Psychosis. Again, I thought their history worked together to make a good match. Their only fault is, again, they didn't tell the live crowd why this match is important. Yeah. Hoovy and Jericho was good. I'm not as in favor of it as you were, because, again, that there's a lot going on. It's a fighting for attention situation. Mm-hmm. Both parts were good, but I feel like somehow some way to unify it more, so it's less combative, I think it would have worked for me better. And main event's not really in contention, even though DP's great. So for me, Match of the Night is Rey and Psychosis.
0: Okay. Uh, for me, my choices were between the Conan-Saturn-Raven match and jericho Hoofy. And I'm going to go with Jericho Hoofy. It's, to me, clearly the best worked match on the show, without the errors or awkwardness that plagued some of the earlier matches. and had the best storyline as well, which was enhanced by Malenko as ref. I felt that they managed to work Malenko in as ref in a way that was interesting, but not overwhelming. It left the match about the competitors, not about the referee. Oh, yeah. MVP?
1: Uh, so, for me, not even getting to the fact that he probably... Made five binders for his main event match. <laughs> the fact that DDP is the focal center of this very long match, by the way, mm-hmm. relatively, especially of Matchable and Jay Lenoval people, he kept everything together really well. This show, if nothing else, is a showcase for DDP as a central character, and it's just a shame that it's not for a title instead of helping Leno beat Bischoff. Yeah. So DDP for me.
0: Yeah, Page was definitely on my list as well for. Pretty much the same reason I felt like he was in large part responsible for holding that main event together. Yes. Yeah, definitely a a prime contender there. Mm -hmm. But I am going to go with Dean Malenko. Okay. I thought he did a really, really good job with his referee role. He did. Getting just involved enough to make things intriguing, but never actually taking over the match completely or making it about himself. All right. It was a difficult balance to get, but I thought he managed it expertly, and he actually was a pretty darn good ref. Yeah, no, he was. So, uh, easily one of the best guest referee performances that I've ever seen.
1: I, yeah, I'd say that. That's fair.
0: Normally, like, it can completely overwhelm the match. Like Yeah. Like it, no sign of that there's anything else going on except that this referee's there.
1: Right. No, I am might the end on that one. Yeah.
0: And Malenko, I think, pretty much holds himself to being a normal referee until he has to do the ending spot.
1: Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see him being a strong contender. Yeah, there's a lot of people, I think, get close. They do a good job here and there in their match. Mm-hmm. Like, you know... Saturn Canyon and even Raven, yeah, like Ray and psychosis that do pretty well. But yeah, a lot of people because there's a lack of promo time and video packages and the little extra, the little extra sort of jenisse quoi, as I say, yeah, they don't get this one extra thing to do that makes it easy to pick them over everybody else, right? Yep. And DDP because he's so focal to most important match, thanks to the way they book the show on it, is that for me.
0: Yeah, I think um, possibly slightly to your point, my runner-up is Jericho. I think he does okay. an exceptional job with his role in that match and with reacting to what's going on and letting himself slowly be shown as more and more stressed out over the course of the match. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, plus a very nice promo uh, at the internet table beforehand. But I really liked Malenko's performance there. It, it feels slightly weird to say that I'm awarding him over the wrestlers in the match because he didn't overwhelm the yeah, match. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get it, yeah. But you get it.
1: <laughs> well, and, and to your point uh, with Jericho... Psychosis tries a lot of the same stuff where he's showing frustration, but his is all nonverbal. Right, and you literally like can't see his face. So
0: yeah, I think my favorite Jericho moment on the show is when he insists that Hoovy tapped, and then quickly loses confidence in that as Malenko just stares at him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but t- tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just really great act there. It is, yeah. And that wraps up our review of Road Wild nineteen ninety eight. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Links will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about each show as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Verbal, or Audible. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Next up, Road Wild 1999. It'll take more than Attitude to ride out of here. At this point, WSW, you should be more concerned about whether people will ride in there in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pritchett signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling.
1: They may, may recognize Ray from previous shows. He's been on the last two. Was he might have been the last three, wasn't he? has he been on all these so far?
0: There's only been three shows so far.
1: Oh, well, I meant, oh, no, three, sorry.
0: Yeah, 96,
1: I'm sorry. sorry. So they changed titles.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Throws you off.